Shabbat Shalom. Shabbat Shalom. Hi, Joy. Shabbat Shalom, Dr. PJ. Hi, Dr. PJ. Hi, all the same. Good to see you. Good to see you. Hi. Shabbat Shalom, Stephen. Shabbat Shalom. Hi, Marie. Hi, Catherine. Hey, Rick. Hi, Euphrasia. Shabbat Shalom. Hi, Eileen. Good to see you. Hi, Pamela. Shabbat Shalom. There's Judy. I see you. Hi, Lois. See here, let me see if we can get there. Shabbat Shalom. Shabbat Shalom. That sounds like Gabriella. Yeah. Shabbat Shalom. Shabbat Shalom. Hi, John. Shabbat Shalom. Hi, Laurie. Shabbat Shalom. Oh, so Shane and Jesse, you guys are outside today. It looks like it's a bright, sunny day going on there. It's lovely. Lovely and hot. Oh, beautiful. Beautiful. When you have a day like that, you have to get outside. Exactly. Cold here in North Dakota, 58 degrees. Yesterday was hot. You're kidding me. No, I'm not. Well, 58 beats Shalom. 105. Am I right? Shalom, shalom. Yeah. Hi, Carla. Shalom, shalom. Hi, Dan. Brother P. Hi, everyone. Shalom. Yeah, the... Um, Shabbat shalom. Shabbat one of our friends shalom. just got back from Montana. Hi, Felix. Hi, Melissa. He just got back from Montana, he said. Uh, and he, came, he comes back to Anchorage, and we're doing like 70 degrees around here. Shalom. Said it was 116 degrees up in Libby. <laughs> Couldn't get his dogs on the plane because they won't fly if it's Shalom. over 85, right? Shalom, Shalom, everyone. Hey, Chris, how are you? Very well, thanks, Doc. And you? Oh, I'm doing fantastic. I'm Maybe. doing very, very Great. well. Yeah, is is blessing. We had a Shalom, you know, Dr. P. Shalom. Hi, hi, Edder. Shalom, how are you? Good to see you. Good, thank you. All right, let's see here. We'll just keep it. I thought Candy Bienvenue was already in, but he must have dropped. All right, we'll just keep adding here. But yeah, we had a we had an absolutely wonderful uh, fellowship last night, and um, the Ruach was really upon the team last night, and it was one of those uh, fellowships that became very exciting. We didn't want to come away from our study. It was so exciting. And, uh, you know, I can share some of that with you, but I want to spend some time this morning on the Torah portion. And uh, I do want to spend some time on that because it's an extremely important Torah portion. Lorena, how are you this morning? Wait, you're muted. Speak up a little bit if you can. Can you unmute? I'm getting there. Can you hear me now? Yeah. Are you feeling, are you under the weather there, sister? Um, well, you know, I, I still have uh, the issue with my eye. It's, it's a process and <laughs> work, I guess. It's with your eye, did you say? Yeah, they did the surgery, but it's, uh, I'm in constant medication, so I don't well, know. Let's, let's pray for you right now, can we? I, I'd rather pay, pray for um, the salvation of all those uh, devastations that are happening around the world. So, uh, yeah, well, we're going to have to do that as well. I mean, there's no question. There's thank no you. Question. But I do want to pray for you today, too, right now. Oh, thank you. Okay. okay, let's see here. We're still gathering. Yeah, there are, there are many things happening, but I can tell you that as many things are happening that are wicked in the world. There is also Yah's world. And 
we could concentrate on the actions of the wicked. But first, before we do that, we need to concentrate on our actions as a people. And I think when we do that, we find Yah's blessing. We do. And I think that we're going to be walking in Yah's blessing in all of this, even though I think we took kind of a poll last night. We were 100% agreed that, you know, World War III is starting. But although World War III is starting, Yah's people, nonetheless, must remain vigilant and must remain faithful. And because of this, we're going to see that Yah is going to bless and it's not going to curse. And when we come into right relationship, that there are many things happening because, you know, of course, whenever the silver is purged, the purge doesn't feel so good. You know, let's take the silver and let's drop it over here in this heat. We can do that. It doesn't feel so good. However, when the, once the purge is over, there is refined silver remaining or refined gold remaining. And this is really what's happening worldwide. You know, the wickedness of the world has increased to such a degree, and it has overtaken everything, that Yah's purge is going to not feel so good. But we do know that the hand of Yah is upon us, and that Yah is going to do some things in this world to straighten out this mess and to restore us to the true Elohim. So, if we can, let's start with a little prayer. We'll open up the prayer here. Let me see if I can get uh, Virginia and Walter, Tina and Karen. Okay. All right. Well, let's open with prayer. Okay. So, well, let's bless Yah. Yahweh, we bless you. We bless you with all of our heart, all of our mind, all of our soul, all of our being. We bless you in your creation and what you have done. We bless you in your will and what you will for mankind. We bless you in your love and your mercy, your kindness, your compassion, your goodness, and your righteousness, in your strength, in your power, in your majesty, and in your beauty. We bless you in all these things, John, because you are before us. King of glory. And as you rise before us, you have seen fit to show yourselves un show yourself unto us, we who are but dust on the earth, yet into whom you have breathed the breath of life, and you have placed life in our blood, that we might stand before you as thinking beings, saying Yahweh Elohim, you are our El Yah. There is no other. And as you look upon us, you look upon your children with delight, with the intent that you should not be alone in the heavens for eternity. We ask that you would direct us, guide us, keep us, keep us on the path of righteousness, the narrow path that we might find your ways in our walk, and that we might be able to follow you as you have called us. May our prayers be in our own life that your will would be done that we would have the strength to do your will as you have called us. For you seek nothing but good for those who love you. Let that be us, Father. Let us say to you, we are your children. You are 
there is no other. And as we lift up today, we look at the world and we see that the world is going into yet another convulsion. And this time a convulsion that promises to be very, very catastrophic. Nonetheless, you cover your children with your wings. You prepare a place in the wilderness for us. A place in the wilderness where even though the flood of the world seeks to destroy us, the earth will open it up and swallow it up. We should not be consumed, but rather that we should be among the faithful, saying, Yahweh Eloheinu. Yahweh Tseboot is his name. And that we stand with you in all things, knowing that to, to live is one thing, but to die is gain. So we look to commit our lives unto you as you have seen fit to call us. May we find the way in the truth. Deliver us, O oh Father, into your righteous kingdom. Through the atoning blood and the propitiation of Yahusha HaMashiach, your word made flesh, we lift these prayers to you. Amen. Amen. So our Torah portion today is... Just very, very interesting, right? Very, very interesting. We see again, Yahweh lifting up the phrase, behold, I set before you this day a blessing and a curse. Well, here we go again, right? Mount Gerizim, Mount Ebal. And with, we, with this blessing and cursing, we get the same command over and over again, right? Which is, and ye shall guard to do at all the commandments and judgments which I set before you today. Now, for those of you that are in the uh, in the Ten Devarim class, we have been going through this particular passage and passages very similar to this in a great uh, detail to know the difference between a mitzvot and a mishpat and a hok, because you have these ideas of mitzvot or mitzvah which is a command a statute an ordinance you have the idea of a mishpat which is a judgment and you have the idea of a hook which is a law a law one of the premises we teach uh, in the ten devarim class is that the source of the law of a society is its elohim now, Peter talks about this a little bit. He says, you know, to whom you are, to whom you serve is to whom you are a slave. That is your Elohim. So what were you going to say? So if you, are, if you are serving sin, that is your Elohim. If you're serving some, if you're serving the pop culture, that is your Elohim. If you're serving this, some other law, like the Georgia Guidestones or you're serving the, the law of the UN concerning climate change, or you're serving uh, Agenda 2030, or you're serving the conclusions and the policies of the World Economic Forum, or the policies of NATO, or the policies of your boss, or whatever it may be. You're serving other Elohim. Now, this is what we see in the Torah portion, is Yah is telling us, you have to tear down the altars of these other people. Because you cannot at any point serve other Elohim. This is what Shema Yasharel is all about. Shema Yasharel, Yahweh Eloheinu, Yahweh Echad, 
Now you can say, well, Yahweh one, but it also means Yahweh alone. When you think about the greatness of Yah and about how he occupy, occupies an infinite number of dimensions infinitely beyond all imagination of the human mind, there is no other that occupies that space. There is a singular infinite being. There is no other. And so Yahweh in that infinite space is ultimately alone. Yahweh is ultimately alone. And to understand that, you can see why there would be an adversary placed in creation. Because there must be an adversary, because there must be a purging, because there must be a testing, there must be a difficulty. Because without that, there is no election to love Yah. There is no election. There's only an automaton saying, well, you gave us a, a pretty smooth path in life. Everything was a bed of roses. So, yeah, it's easy to love you. That's not the point. The point is to learn to love Yah in the face of adversity, that you might be strong in your conviction that Yah should not stand alone for eternity, but that there would be other consciousness before him. There would be other ruachot before him. So he says, look, first of all, we have the claim in scripture. I was the one that took you out of Mitzrayim. I was the one that took you out of bondage. Now, there are very few people in the world that argue with that historical premise. The Egyptians all agree it did happen. That, and you have plenty of historical evidence that the house of Yasharel came out of Egypt with all of their wealth, all of their cattle, all of their animals, and that they ended up taking this land of milk and honey. Okay, so you have these two premises. I am Yahweh who took you out of the land of milk and who took you out of the land of bondage, who took you out of slavery. Okay, that's two witnesses to the claim that I, Yahweh, did this. There's a third witness, which is the parting of the Red Sea. Was it Moshe who parted the Red Sea by some magical power? It was Yahweh. It was, there's the 10 plagues. These were Yahweh. This was all of this was the miraculous hand of Yah. And by doing so, you have things that testify, not just some perjurious statement of a human being testifying, but you have all of these events which testify to the supremacy of Yahweh. And after doing all of this, nonetheless, the people murmured against Yah. They murmured against Yah. And Yah said, look, when you get into the land, I want you to tear down their altars, tear down their Ashtaroth poles, tear down their Molech worship pits, tear down their Dagon, tear down this, because I don't want you even talking about them. I don't want your friends talking about it. I don't want your wife telling you, gee, we got to think about becoming Buddhists. None of this stuff. It's absolutely prohibited. Why? Because there was a singular source of law. And the source of your law is your Elohim. So when you live in a country that worships secular humanism, that is your, that's your Elohim. It is not Yah. Yah has a complete proscription of statutes, judgments, laws, commandments that are good for the governance of a society. 
that should a society practice these things, they would prosper. That's what the whole idea of the Mount of Blessing is. Should you, pro should you practice these things, you will prosper. Should you not practice these things, cursing will come upon you. Destruction will come upon you. Death will come upon you. When you introduce other Elohim, other Elohim always bring you towards a path of death. Let's worship Molech. Well, how do we do that? Well, kill your children. Let's worship Baal. How do you do that? Oh, human sacrifice, right? It leads to death. It leads to death. It leads to death. But Yah's law leads to life and prosperity over and over again. Now, let's talk about some of the differences. We talk about Yah's law. Number one, in Yah's law, there is no such thing as property tax, okay? There's no property tax. We were talking about property tax last night, very briefly. But with property tax, you see that your friends and neighbors have gotten together and voted themselves a superior deed to your deed. The rule may read, the statute may read, that you own property and, you, and the only way you can own property is by deed. And your deed may be a statutory warranty deed. And you own that property in fee simple. That's what it's called, fee simple. You own this property. Yet somehow, magically, your friends have voted themselves a superior deed to your deed. Well, we have a superior deed to you. How'd you get it? We voted on it. Oh, you voted on it. Yeah, we voted on it. Well, can you show it to me? Oh, no, I can't show it to you. But if you don't pay your property tax, we're going to take your property pre premised upon our superior deed that doesn't exist. And so your friends have gotten together and by consensus agreed to steal your ultimate ownership of your property. Okay? That has no biblical foundation whatsoever. There is nothing anywhere in Moshe's Torah that allows a government to do that. But when you talk to your friends and neighbors, your friends and neighbors will be, oh, no, no, we support property taxes. Why do you support property taxes? Because that way we can redistribute the wealth of those who own larger property from those who own smaller property or those who own no property. We can redistribute their wealth and spread it among us to pay for the groovy fun stuff that we like wider roads, you know, more guardrail, bigger bridges, whatever it may be. And so this is the kind of thing that happens when you point out to them, well, that is not in the Torah. So what? They have no intention of changing their opinion. Just as democracy is not in the Torah, did Moshe come to the people in Sinai and say, hey, I've got a proposal for 10 commandments. We're going to have a referendum here. We're going to have everybody over 20 years old gets to vote on what 10 we should have. The vote's going to be, going to be held on Shavuot. Everybody prepare a written ballot and we'll vote on the 10 commandments that you guys want to have. Is that what happened? No, that isn't what happened. There was no vote on the 10 commandments. Instead, the Ten Commandments were supernaturally and miraculously given to the house of Yasharel. 
with the finger of Yah himself, writing out for the first time a conceptual language in which he gave the house of Yasharel a complete instruction. Now that instruction, of course, could be elaborated and expanded and made more detailed. But he gave us a covenant of 10 Devarim that he himself wrote. And by doing so, the chosen people, the house of Yasharel, not the house of Judah, the chosen people are the house of Yasharel, all of the tribes. He gives to them this covenant and this covenant of, quote unquote, the 10 Devarim, the 10 commands, right? With this, we have a massive blessing. And not only do we have a massive blessing, but we have the foundation of all law in the world. Now, recently I was watching a video by Jordan Peterson. He was being interviewed by Joe Rogan. And Jordan Peterson, for the first time, who I think is a secular humanist, but he had to admit the Bible, what we call scripture, scripture, is the absolute foundation of all Western humanity. There is no other foundation. And the reason it is the foundation is because it claims an absolute truth at its source, at its foundation. Now, let's take a look in just a moment about the idea of, let's say there is no scripture. If there is no scripture, then we're, de we're dealing with a, a morality that is quite different. Because when you read uh, the writing of Thomas Hobbes, who was an apologist for Charles I, who beheaded King of England, Thomas Hobbes makes a very interesting statement. He says, look, man's natural condition is in a perpetual state of war. And this is why we see war breaking out all the time. Because the only reason we're not at war worldwide 100% of the time is because there are abatements that take place between this state of war. Long enough for people to breathe, long enough for people to breed. But the condition is this. If you are a person, you know, let's just use our imagination for a little bit and let's put ourselves in a wilderness where very few people exist. And you have come into this wilderness and you found the land of milk and honey. There's a beautiful stream running out here. There's some fertile land, flat, where you can plant. There are, there's animal wildlife there where you can hunt, you can fish, you can survive. And you take unto yourself a wife. Now, if you're a hunter-gatherer, okay, I'm going to kill something here. I'm going to barbecue while I'm, on, while I'm on horseback, headed to some other place. Okay, you don't mean much to anybody at that point. He came and he went. But once you take a wife and you begin to establish yourself in an area, now you're going to accumulate things. You're going to accumulate a garden. You're going to accumulate a way to store your food. You're going to accumulate a shelter. You're going to accumulate a shelter that is going to be continuous, that is capable of housing not only you and your wife, but your children that are going to come from that. Now you have something to protect. And because you have something to protect, you are immediately at war with someone who does not have that, but desires that. Now, the person who desires that, if there is no moral compunction, if there is no 
edict that says thou shalt not kill. The logical conclusion is, if I kill those people, that stuff belongs to me. So the moral imperative in a completely secular world, the number one moral imperative is to get up this morning and kill the person most likely to kill you that day. That's your top priority. This is why when Abraham showed up at Pharaoh's door, he said, this is my sister. Because if he said, this is my wife, Pharaoh would perceive him as having the need to protect whatever it was he had. And it would have been an expression of a state of war between the two of them. So what we see is man's condition is a natural state of war. Man's natural morality in this place is a condition of kill or be killed as a fundamental moral premise. Now you get a supernatural authority that says thou shalt not kill. Now, the idea of let's agree with one another that we shall not kill each other. This is what we have in the world. You know, we have what's called the doctrine of sovereignty. And the doctrine of sovereignty is that every nation makes its own rules. And there is no authority and no rulemaking above and beyond the sovereign authority of the state. In other words, if Egypt makes a set of rules, Ethiopia's laws do not apply in Egypt unless Egypt says so. If Canada makes a set of rules, U.S. law does not apply in Canada unless Canada says so. And, they only, and it only applies by the sovereign authority of the nation making its rules because there is no law greater than the sovereign authority of the state. Well, that elevates the state to Elohim. And when you elevate the state to Elohim, you live under fascism by definition. When the state is over Yah, you live in a fascist state. When Yah is over the state, you live in freedom. Very important, very important distinctions. Because with Yah elevated as the true king, Yah is your king, Yah is your lawgiver, Yah is your judge. And with Yah as the true king, now you have laws imposed that supersede the laws of the state. Now, to some degree, this is the case notwithstanding the doctrine of uh, national sovereignty, because we have international standards, and international standards are here because the whole world rises up in revolt to the idea that one country can be a warmonger. This is part of the reason why Nazi Germany was always destined to lose World War II. Because they were fundamentally immoral. Notwithstanding the fact that they asserted our sovereignty is sufficient for us to impose our sovereignty on the whole of the world by force, which was the doctrine of Adolf Hitler. The world said, no, you cannot commit crimes against humanity. And we saw the articulation of this idea of international war crimes and international crimes against humanity. Well, who came up with that? Who came up with that was Yahweh, who is who came up with it. 
because he said, these things belong in my province. I set the standards. And so when you look at the Nuremberg defense, you see that the Nazi soldiers were coming up and saying, using the scripture of Martin Luther, who, by the way, did a generous rewrite of Romans 13.1, where he wrote, obey the governing authorities. But that's not how it is, was expressed in English translation, right? O obey the higher powers, for they are of Yahweh. You see, and so this distinction becomes very, very important because the Germans told the lawyers, the American lawyers at Nuremberg, we were following orders. Don't talk to us about morality, American. Here's Romans 13.1. Obey the governing authorities, which is what we were doing. We're more moral than you. We were obeying the governing authorities. We were obeying Romans 13.1. We nonetheless put them to death. And we put them to death, as one judge told a German judge who was in, incarcerated at Nuremberg. Judge says, how can you do this to me? I'm a Christian just like you. And the judge looked at him and said, the first time you sentenced an innocent person to death, you knew this day was coming. Now, there is another day of reckoning that's coming, and I'm telling you, it's coming, coming very, very quickly for all of these genocidalists who have perpetrated this bioweapon attack beginning in 2020 that we call the pandemic. It's a bioweapon attack at an attempted genocide worldwide. Yah's light is shining upon that now, and the lid is coming off of that. And as the lid comes off of that, it's coming off of that in the hands of a group of people that could not be smashed into submission by the criminal cabal that has smashed everybody else into submission. We couldn't do it. And now those people are shining the light on what has been found. And when the light is done being found, every one of those perpetrators, every leader of a pharmaceutical company, every proponent of the, of the World Economic Forum, Every leader who demanded a lockdown, who demanded a mask, who said there's essential and non-essential people, every one of those leaders, they're going to be held accountable. They're going to be held accountable financially, and they're going to be held accountable physically. And I, this is what I have to say to them. The day you took the first step to kill another person with your bioweapon attack, you knew this day was coming. And this day is in the hand of Yahweh. This day is in the hand of Yahweh. So what we see here in the Torah portion is you see this idea, Yah is saying, I am your lawgiver. I am your king. I am your judge. You shall have no other lawgiver. You shall have no other king. And you shall have no other judge before you. You are to tear down their altars. You are to tear down their worshiping. You are to tear down their Ashtaroth poles. You are to tear down their Molex. And, the, and you are not to be tolerant of them at all. They are not to exist in your social order. 
So the question for the believer is, you need to know what is the instruction of Yahweh. Now, when you talk to certain communities, if you go to the Samaritan community, for instance, they will tell you that the totality of the instruction of Yahweh is Moshe's Pentateuch, the five books. Why? Because we're, we're the Samaritans, and we only believe in the Samaritan Pentateuch, five books. But Yahusha himself said, nope, that is inaccurate. Why is that inaccurate? Because salvation is of the Yahudim, and the Yahudim read the Psalms. The Yahudim read the prophets, right? That these are good for instruction. Well, Paul goes on to say, oh, wait a minute. All scripture is instruction. All scripture is Torah. All scripture is Torah. And this is where we are as a people. We are not just given Moshe's Pentateuch. but We are given the Haftarah, which today is Yeshayahu. We're given the Besorah, which is today in the Gospels. And we are also given the Apocrypha. And we are also given the totality of Scripture. And you see, the totality of Scripture is for teaching. And you know, if you took my Hebrew class, Torah, the word Torah means you shall instruct. You shall instruct. So here we see that these commands here that were, that were being given by Yah, he's giving us a particular way about life. Now, you have some pretty interesting instructions about the tithe and about uh, sacrifice and about prayer and so on. You shall not do this in any other place but where I put my name. Now, I don't know why this is so hard for the Christian church and why this is so hard really for the Hebrew roots movement who want to you know, start sacrificing animals again. You know, it's very clear. If there is no place where Yah has placed his name, which he placed his name not in Yerushalayim, in the Holy Land. He placed his name in Shiloh. That is where the Ark of the Covenant was established. That's where the tent was built. It was David who lusted after the fortress of the Yebusites and said, I have to have that fortress because I can't defend Hebron. But the Ark of the Covenant was in a tent in Shiloh and was moved into a building by Solomon. And when they moved it into the building by Solomon, what did Solomon do? Well, as we talked about on Thursday, he fell away. Solomon listened to his wives. Solomon violated this Torah portion. This Torah portion says, you shall not listen to your wife. He says, you know, why don't we follow this Elohim? They've got some cool stuff going on. Let's follow that. No, you are not to do that. I mean, it's very clear in the instruction you are not to do that. But Solomon did. He put up Ashtaroth poles. He put up high altars to Baal. He allowed Molech to re-enter the land. And in all of these things, he sinned grievously before Yahweh. And as a result, 
his kingdom in the hands of his son was immediately divided. Of course it was divided because what did Yah say on Tishbaav? As you have said, so will I do. So you want to introduce another Elohim? Well, then I'm going to make you two kingdoms. You want to have another Elohim? And I'm going to make you two kingdoms. And so it went. And by the time you get to Manasseh, who puts up a god of five heads in downtown Yerushalayim, Yah says, that's it. I'm going to remove myself from Zion, and I'm going to make Zion no more. And not only am I going to make Zion no more, but all of you people are going into captivity. And it was on Tishba of this day, where we are today, it was on this day in the year 586 BC that Nebuchadnezzar burned Solomon's temple to the ground. And the people of Jerusalem were taken into captivity to forever change, forever change the people of Yah. There was no kingdom of Yahud after this, okay? People think, oh, well, the second temple, that brought the kingdom back. No, it didn't. The second temple kingdom that was formed was the kingdom of the Hasmoneans. It was not the kingdom of Yahud. It was the kingdom of the Hasmoneans. And the Hasmoneans were non-Israeli people. They were non-Yasharadim who wanted to follow after the faith of the Yasharadim and who then imposed a form of it that we call Judaism. Judaism. But it was not the true faith, and they were not the true house of Yasharel. And so the second temple was uh, a second iteration, trying to be, right, new Jerusalem, new Yehud, right? But God did not bless this. I mean, he did, but he did not bless it to the extent that he, was, that he had blessed the original house there. And as a consequence, you get new laws. You get a new menorah. This menorah's got nine, not seven. You get new laws. You get the Talmud, not the Torah. The Torah was the law of Yahud, but you're getting a new law. You're getting the Talmud with all of its additional instructions. The Mishnah is 26 volumes. That's the law instruction of Judaism, the Mishnah which was created by people who were not the children of Yahud, who did not have the simplicity of the law of Yah. Now, with simplicity and law, you get profundity. Let me give you an example. Milton Friedman was asked to write a law dealing with fraud in the sale of securities. He said, okay. So he wrote a law. It's called 10b-5. He wrote this law, and the law says, thou shalt not commit fraud. That was it. And they asked him, well, what does that mean? He says, let the courts tell you what it means. But the simplicity of the standard, thou shalt not commit fraud, became the standard, and it's still the law today, 10b-5, rule 10b-5 is still the law in the securities world. There's a billion pages of case law behind that now telling you what that is. But that was the original command, and this is the same kind of commandments we get from Yah. Simple, straightforward, to the point, few words telling you 
if you love Yah with all your heart, mind, and soul, you will see the expanse of the command. Thou shalt not break wedlock. Thou shalt not deceive, which is what the, thou shalt not bear false witness. Thou shalt not deceive. Actually, thou shalt not steal. Means thou shalt not deceive in order to take the property of others, right? Thou shalt not lust, you know, chamad. Hamad is the word there. You shall not lust after other things, right? And so Yah gives us this command, which he wrote with his own fingers. And he wrote this, that we not that we might even have commands, but that we might have a language. That we might have a written language. Look what the written language does for you. Hey, I've got a very elaborate concept. Send that to my friends who are 300 miles from here who I'm never going to see. Okay? How would you do it in the old days? Here's my concept. Blah, 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 blah. Tell it to this guy. He tells it to that guy. That guy tells it to this guy. That guy tells it to that guy. You guys have all played that game, Rumor, where you sit in a room with 20 people and, and you talk and pass the rumor one to another by and you see how it turns out by the end of the uh, end of the 20 people. And it's so distorted, so wrong, so crazy. How'd you guys ever get that from the same rumor? Imagine how bad that was in an oral tradition of passing it mouth by mouth, just doing this orally for years and years. Think about what kind of a substantial innovation it was in society to suddenly have a written language. Now, not only that, but you can see this, like when you study the German language, for instance, the German language has many words that capture ideas that are not captured in any other language. Like, I'll give you an idea. There's a word in German. Um, I've got to think about it now. Not far from Nugent, which, which Volkswagen used. Schadenfreude. Mm. Schadenfreude. Okay, now this is a word that exists in the German language. It doesn't exist in any other language. But it identifies that emotion that is experienced, an emotion of joy or happiness at the misfortune of someone else. It's called schadenfreude. And we also see uh, zeitgeist is another such word that you see in the German language. And when you're trying to define that concept, you have it in German, but you don't have it somewhere else. And this is what we were able to achieve in the Ivrit. And the Ivrit even more expansive than any other language in terms of the depth of its meaning. It has so much meaning and it is self-conveying in its meaning. You can look at a word in Hebrew and if you understand the letters, you can understand the concept of that word by, the, by reading, the under, the, reading the understanding uh, meaning of the letters. You can do this. You can't do this in any other language. Right? You can't do it in any other language, but you can do it in Hebrew. And so this language was a revolution. It was the first revolution, the first conceptual revolution that is given to us by Yahweh. And then Yah says, you shall follow my commands and my commands alone. And then, of course, in today's Torah portion, we get this instruction about the tithe. We get this instruction about eating the food to eat. You know, what is clean food? What isn't clean food? We get this instruction about offering, prayer offering. 
sacrifice offering. And when you talk about a rising smoke offering, in the days of Moshe, this was an animal offering. But in our day, the rising smoke is our prayer. It's our prayer. See, and so it's a little bit different world. But I can tell you, when you look at this, the whole idea of offering, I mean, we could, we could spend a lot, a lot of time talking about the tithe offering. It's very clear what the tithe offering is there. It's the, it's the you know, your, your uh, animals, the increase in your crops, right? And you will see that this tithe offering was in part given to you, to you, because you were required to set aside 10% of whatever it was that you did for six years. This is what Malachi means when he says, put this in the storehouse. You're supposed to put 10% of whatever it is that you do in the storehouse every year for six years, because on the seventh year, on the seventh year, you're expected to rest. And so Yah would give you a double provision in the sixth year. So it's 10, 10, 10, 10, 10, 20. So that when you enter into the Sabbath year, you have 70% of what you would normally spend in a year, you have in your storehouse for your benefit that you might keep the sabbatical year. But of course, there's always a parasite looter, which is another name for politician, who comes along and says, oh, that stuff you put in the storehouse belongs to me. That, that rightfully is supposed to be given to me. I'm the storehouse. How did you become the storehouse? Well, I've got a 501c3 that makes me the storehouse, right? No, the storehouse, the Levites were actually bankers keeping your savings account for you. You were supposed to store up for you. You were also supposed to give a 10% every three years that would go into a widow's and orphans fund that you would take care of those around you. And this was how much was supposed to be given. And when you read the New Testament, there's very explicit instruction, who is a true widow and how much is to be given to them, right? Very, it's very clear instruction in the New Testament about what's supposed to be done. But in no case are you supposed to be doing these things in a place that does not have Yah's name on it. So where is that place now? Well, anybody with a brain knows it's Houston, Texas, because that's where uh, Joel O, uh, Joel O, whatever his name is. <laughs> Everybody knows that's where the storehouse is down there. <laughs> Holstein, that's it, Holstein. <laughs> no, I'm kidding, I'm kidding, right? So the point, of, the point I'm making is that when we look at the law, we look at the law of Yahweh, the, the law is very clear. It's his law and no other law. Now, do we know what that law is? This is the point of a Torah study. So when you come to the, when you ask yourself the question, well, what about in the modern world? What if I borrow my friend's car and wreck it? What do I owe him? What if I borrow my friend's car and run over somebody? What's my liability? What happens if I do it intentionally? Oh, well, that's a completely different circumstance, isn't it? And what about, for instance, let me give you another thing where the modern world is anathema to the Torah. Somebody breaks into your house and steals your stuff. Now, let's say they steal all of your electronics that are worth 5,000 bucks. 
And so they steal all of your electronics and they're gone with it. Now the state catches them. And the state says, okay, we're taking them to trial. So the state brings them in. Did you steal all this stuff from so-and-so's house? Yes, I did. So how do you plead? Well, I plead guilty. Okay. So we're sentencing you to two years in jail and we're sentencing you a $5,000 fine. Okay, well, who's the 5,000 paid to? Us. Well, what about the guy who lost his stuff? Oh yeah, that stuff is in evidence, um, I think. Some of it might be there. Maybe you can get it back. What did you do with it? Well, I sold it to a pawnbroker. Okay, so that's all gone. Yeah, yeah. Okay, well, I guess they're out of luck. No, not according to the Torah. The state doesn't get to come in there and say, I get a $5,000 fine and you, the victim, are out of luck. The Torah says, no, he admitted to stealing from you. He pays you back $10,000 for the $5,000 worth of electronic gear he stole. That is the first, that's the sentence. He stole that from you. He owes you a double portion back. He doesn't owe a fine to the state. He owes a double portion back to the person who was victimized by the theft. That's the Torah command. How'd that Torah command get changed up? Because you had a parasitic looter making the decision, not somebody who was looking at the Torah of Yahweh to say, what does the Torah say should be the penalty for that offense? Right? Doesn't look to that. Now, when you look to some of the, the, some of the penalties in the Torah, you know, you have this phrase in the English language, he shall be put to death. Right? And if so-and-so does such and such, he shall be put to death. But when you read in the Hebrew, that passage is mut v'mut, which is better said, he shall die the death. Now, die the death is how we have those passages written in the Sefer. He shall die the death. As compared to most of the English translations, he shall be put to death. Now, there's a distinction, isn't there? Because when you see he shall be put to death, then you as a social order have the duty to put that person to death. But when you read in the Hebrew, he shall die the death, what exactly does that mean? Well, in many cultures, Passed that out. means, yeah, Heather, go ahead. Are you saying something? Oh, I'm sorry, Dr. Pig. I don't know how that happened. Okay, no problem. I got you. So when you're talking about uh, dying the death, in many cultures, they expel you. For instance, in the native cultures, in the First Nations up here in Alaska, if they had somebody in the tribe that was committing crimes, right, which would be, you know, actually fairly unusual before, before you know, the uh, Western culture got here, because in those cultures, you're born and you're born into a function. If you're a man, you hunt and fish. If you're a woman, you, uh, you skin and clean. I mean, that was just, that was it, period. There were no poets, you know, there were no uh, philosophers. This is what happened. Now, if you had somebody who was a thief or somebody who was killing or somebody who was raping, they would take that person and they would say, well, you're expelled. Well, how, are, how am I expelled? We're putting you on this iceberg right here and sending you out into the Bering Sea. Don't get off the iceberg in our sight, right? 
And, you know, the cultures would, and many times the cultures, this is how they would do it. They would expel the person from the culture. And you see that this is one of the, one of the commands you see in Moshe. This person is no part of Yasharel, right? So die the death could mean, yeah, you shall stone that person. Although you have very explicit instruction, like you do here in this Torah command, stone that person. But in many cases, die the death does not mean stone the person. It means expel them from the community such that, as far as you're concerned, that person is dead. You don't know that person anymore. You don't remember their name. That person is dead. They're, they've been expelled from the community. It's a, bit, it's a bit different when you think about this idea of moot moot. Now the question is, did the death penalty get overturned in the New Testament? with the woman who is brought out in John 8, we caught this woman in the very act of adultery. Well, is that right? If you caught her in the very act of adultery, then where's the guy she was committing adultery with? You caught her in the very act, where's the guy she was with? Why? Because the Torah says both of them shall be put to death. Not one of them. It's not, well, if you catch somebody committing adultery, kill the woman. Even though I have to tell you that New Mexico statutes and Texas statutes, it's, it says exactly that. The, the unwritten law in Texas was, if you catch your spouse in the act of adultery, you can shoot them. In New Mexico, the law read, if you catch your spouse in the act of adultery, you can shoot her. That's how the law read. You can shoot her. Okay? So again, once again, you see this idea of, oh, if you catch somebody in adultery, then kill the woman. But the Torah says, both of them shall die. Yet they presented only the woman to Mashiach. And Mashiach says, oh yeah, is that right? Here, he draws a line in the sand. Since we're talking about death penalty, let's talk about all the death penalty in the Torah, and let's talk about who here is deserving of the death penalty in the Torah. And let he who is not deserving of the death penalty under the Torah, let him cast the first stone. Let him cast it. Right? Okay, now, all of these things, this is why the entirety of Scripture is Torah, not just Moshe. The entirety of Scripture is Torah. Okay, so we see here, nonetheless, that Yaz Torah is our instruction. And it is incumbent upon us to know that Torah. And when somebody, when your legislator proposes some law, and we've got a law we want to propose. Well, let me ask you the question, Mr. and Mrs. Legislator. What's the scriptural justification for your law? Can you show me the principle, the tenet, the ethic, the underlying premise by which you find that law in Scripture? Well, uh, we don't. You can't find that in Scripture. This is mala prohibita. We've decided that we're going to hit you with a fine if you use the wrong word in public. Can you show me the scriptural premise for that? Oh no, you can't show me that. 
Well, then, which God are you elevating here? What is your source for that law? And when you make a long enough inquiry and you find out that the source for that law is because some corporate entity proposed it or some demon-worshipping group proposed it or some Luciferian cabal proposed it, then you know who the God is that that lawmaker is worshipping. Now, let me give you an example. Oliver Cromwell worshipped the God of democracy. Oh, we have to be a democracy. Do we? Do we have to be a democracy? What did he find when Yah gave him his democracy? The parliament that he insisted be the lawmaker immediately voted themselves the property of everybody else which is exactly what you see in every democracy every time it's formed. Well, since we're in the majority here, let's vote ourselves the property of everybody else. And so he who demanded that parliament be the sole authority in Britain disbanded parliament and made himself dictator, which why he came to be despised, because he was wrong. Why was he wrong? Of course, there is no king other than Yah, but there is no lawmaker other than Yah, and there is no judge other than Yah. So do not come to me elevating your God of democracy, your God of what? Mob, of mob rule. I don't want to hear it. Well, that's going to be a trouble for our democracy. Uh, well, look, I hate to break the news to everybody. The United States is not a democracy. It's a republic. It's not. A, it's a republic with democratic principles, but it is not a democracy. Because in a democracy, 50.0000001% of the people can say, hey, let's exterminate all the Jews in a death camp. And 49.99999% who are disagreeing with that, too bad, this is a democracy, you have to go with our tyranny. And it doesn't even have to be 50.0001%. It only needs to be a small minority who controls and then claims it was 50.0001%. You see, democracy is mob rule. It always fails because as soon as it becomes perfected, those in who are voting vote themselves the property that they do not have. That's what happens every time. And that's why democracies fail. Pure democracies fail very, very quickly. However, when your lawmaker is Yah, then your lawmakers have an obligation to find what is in the Torah. When your judge is Yah and you're sitting on a bench about to sentence a person, now come on, let's, I want you to pretend in your own mind, okay? Wherever you are, your governor has come to you and said, you know, we're short judges. So I'm appointing you to sit on the bench now. Here's your black robe. Here's your wig. Go sit on the bench and you judge the people that come before you. You do it. Well, here's the facts, Your Honor. 
This fellow is accused of this and accused of that. And the facts illustrate that he did A, B, C, D, and E. All of which constitute a crime under the following statute. Now, you as a judge have the authority to sentence this person to death. What goes through your mind at that point? Do you think to yourself, is this law just? Or am I just a murderer on behalf of the state? Would it matter to you? I think it would. Because you're about to kill somebody. So then the question is, how do you know, is this law just? And this is why scripture becomes the foundational authority of all law in the world. Because at some level, we rely on the words of Yahweh, who said, this constitutes a death offense. This does not. If a person has taken the blood of another person, then their blood shall be required. What does an eye for, and for an eye and a tooth for a tooth mean? If you've knocked out the tooth of another person, then you should lose a tooth. You should not lose all your teeth. You know, if you've knocked out the tooth of another person, then four cops should hold you down on the ground, one cop with a knee on the back of your neck, the other cop should work you over with a billy club, while the third cop is caving in three of your ribs and breaking them, spraying you in the face with mace, slapping you in handcuffs, and then throwing you face down into a concrete cell for a month. Does that sound like a tooth for a tooth? I mean, I'm just throwing some ideas out here, right? But you can see that when we start talking about a social order, a righteous social order, we must rely on the fundamental truth of Elohim alone. Yahweh, Eloheinu, Yahweh, Echad. He is our lawmaker. He is our king. He is our judge. Everything else that is being told to you, well, this is the law. No, it isn't. It's not a law. It is your praise of a different Elohim. And so it's very simple for us to say, we want to be the change. We want to be the change that we desire. We want to be that change. Well, if we're going to be that change, we need to be that change. We need, okay. We need to be that change. And what I mean by being that change, if we come to our lawmakers and say, would you tell me, you know, here's this law that's being presented. Can you tell me where you find the provision in scripture that allows you to call me asymptomatic and exclude me from society? Can you show me the scripture that says thou shalt wear a mask? Can you show me the scripture that allows somebody who puts on a white coat to tell me that I must inject something into my veins. Can you show me that scripture? 
And they're going to say to you, well, I don't believe in scripture. Boom. Bing, bingo. Thank you. Thank you. Now we know. Now we know who you are. We know that you are Nethma to Yahweh. We know that you have a different God. Now, might I inquire as to who your God is? Right? And then we find out. Okay. But you do see when you read the Torah portion, there's all of this discussion. You may eat clean and unclean, but that's not what it says. The clean and unclean may eat. Then it goes on to tell you, this is what is clean and this is what is unclean. Right? Okay. All right. I'm going to let Chris handle some of the other stuff in the Torah portion which we talk on. Okay. But I just want to, I just want to kind of throw this out to you guys that when we look at this kind of a thing, now, uh, you know, we see now that the world in its convulsion, why is the world in its convulsion? Why is the world at war? Because mankind has fallen away from the premises, thou shalt not kill. And so when you get to a point where one group of people says, we don't care about that premise, thou shalt not kill. And, you know, and what is happening right now, and I'm going to share with you real quickly about how the light is being shed. Russia came out yesterday and announced to the world that they have hard evidence that COVID, the COVID um, pandemic and the virus itself, SARS-CoV, was developed in bioweapons labs in Ukraine. And they published a huge report together with all the documents, all these documents that they found in these bioweapons labs that indicate that USAID was, which is an operation of the CIA, spending money through Rosemont Seneca, which is a group controlled by Joe Biden's son, Nancy Pelosi's son, John Kerry's son, and Chuck Schumer's son, that these guys were funding these bioterrorism these bioweapons plants where they created not only SARS-2, but also monkeypox and the residual viruses. You know now that there's a polio outbreak going on, right? You guys are aware of this. There's incidents of polio in London and New York uh, and in Tel Aviv, in Jerusalem. And these bioweapons were created in a lab, patented, and then introduced to the world. This is an international war crime. And again, when we talk about international crimes, how do you have international crimes when national sovereignty exists under the law of nations? Because even though mankind may say there is a law of nations, Yah says, my law remains superior to the law of nations. And it's in our inward parts. That Torah has been poured into our inward parts. We know that certain things are wrong. We know it as a people. When you decide you're going to commit genocide against a billion people, we know in our hearts that is wrong. And so as a result, there are international laws. And all of these people who have been responsible for developing this virus and all the protocols surrounding it have committed the most heinous international crimes seen by humanity in the history of humanity. And Yah has got a flashlight that's about 100,000 lumens, and he's going, let's turn this on. Look who did it. And the light is shining. And I can tell you now that the light is shining on them. And because the P 
people that did it, the criminal cabal that did it, was unable to shut the mouth of the Russians like they so desperately needed to do. The crime is now being made evident. And now what awaits is judgment. You see? So again, when we look at what what we're going to do as a people, we need to be a people that when all of this dust settles, some of us will be here, some of us won't. But when this dust settles, those of us who remain need to say to the world, what is the answer? Shema Yasharel, Yahweh Elohim, Yahweh Echad, Yahweh alone. And when we are ready to embrace that as a people, then we will walk on the face of the Mount of Blessing. Okay. All right. Okay. So thanks guys for putting up with me this morning. Really appreciate it. Thank you, brothers and sisters. Is there, there's one other rev, one other revelation I'd like to share with you before we go, if that's all right. We talked last night, we were bouncing off the ceiling with excitement last night about this thing that's being released in the community. Somebody has discovered something. And I wanted to take the time actually this morning to look at something with you guys, if you don't mind. And uh, because we know in this passage in Revelation 13, 18, right? We know that uh, in the Sefer, we translate that a little bit different. We translate that with the original Greek, right? With the original Greek, let me. I'm going to go to that real quickly here. So, and I'm going to bring. I'm going to bring this up so that we can see it. Um, let me get the Greek inter, interlinear going here. Just one second. Uh, well, I could have sworn I had the Greek interlinear, but I guess I don't. Yeah, let me just look at it this way. Hold on, and. But in this, we find we have the passage written, here is wisdom. Let him that has understanding calculate the number of the beast, for it is the number of a man, and his number is key, C stigma, right? Okay, so we're going to take a look. I'm going to see if I can share this with you guys now, in just one second. Let's see, do we still have people... Waiting to get in. I guess we have one person. Okay. Let me share this with you guys for a second. Okay. So these sword, let's put that up here. Now we'll put this up. So here's our passage in Greek. Okay. Now we're going to see here. Yeah, see. Here's the word I'm interested in right here. Okay. Now, when we look at this passage, here is wisdom. Let him that has understanding calculate the number of the beast. Okay, so this word calculate, sigfidso, right? To use pebbles in enumeration, right? 
That is, in the genitive case, to compute or to count, to compute. All right, well, this comes from 5586, say which means a pebble. That is, by implication, the use of a counter or ballot, like an abacus, right? Count. All right, but now let's take a look at this. If we say, okay, well, here's chi C stigma here, and you can see that this is chi C stigma. You see it here. This is, you can see very clearly that when you look at the Greek text, you see this. You see that? That's what you see. And you see that it does not give you a word. There's no Greek word here that's given. And so what they what Strong's tells you is, well, well, this is the 22nd, the 14th, and an obsolete letter, right? Stigma, which is actually final sigma. And so G4742 has a cross of the Greek alphabet, immediately between the fifth and sixth, used as numbers, denoting respectively 660 and six. Not six hyphen six hyphen six, Ronald Wilson Reagan, but 660 and six. Okay, now let's take a look at this. Is that a calculated number? No, that's not calculated. Who's doing any calculation? Is there any calculation going on here? No, there's no calculation. That's just, there's the number, here you go. What's the calculation? Okay, so we have four choices in calculating. We can add, we can subtract, we can multiply, or we can divide, right? So if we add, then we get 600 plus 60 plus six, well, we get 666, right? Well, what if we subtract? Okay, well, we get 60, 600 minus 60, 540 minus six, 534. Okay, doesn't mean anything in particular. I'm sure it does at some level. What if we divide? Well, 600 divided by 60, 10, divided by six, is 1.66666, right? If you divide, it's 1.666. Well, what if we multiply? Well, if we multiply 600 times 60 times six, we get an interesting number. We get 216,000. All right. Well, 216,000, that doesn't mean much to me, Steve. All right, but let's do a little bit of functionality. Divide that by three. Our answer, 72,000. Well, what's that gonna do with anything, Steve? Well, a guy named Crick, looking at the genome, found that human genes had a totality, the total number of human genes was 144,000. Because it's a double-strand helix, you have one helix that has 72,000, and you have another helix that has 72,000. But if you add a third strand of DNA to it, 
you end up with 216,000 genes. Now, 216,000 genes equals the same number as 600 times 60 times 6. Now, when you look at Revelation 7, after these things, I saw four angels standing on the four corners of the earth, holding the four winds of the earth, that the wind should not blow on the earth, nor on the sea, nor on any tree. And I saw another angel ascending from the east, having the seal of the living Elohim. And he cried with a loud voice to the four angels, to whom it was given to hurt the earth and the sea, saying, hurt not the earth, neither the sea, nor the trees, till we have sealed the servants of our Elohim in our foreheads. And I heard the number of them which were sealed, and there were sealed 144,000 of all the tribes of Jezreel. All right, hold on here just a minute, okay? I heard the number of those who were sealed. So we got a person here and he's sealed. What's his number? His number is 144,000. I heard the number of those who were sealed. What, were the, what was the number of those who were sealed? The number of those who were sealed was 144,000. Okay. Now, when you, you go through the tribes and, okay, well, what's the totality of these people who have this number, 144,000? So all the angels stood around about the throne, about the elders and the four living creatures and fell before the throne on their faces and worshiped Elohim saying, amen, blessing and glory and wisdom and thanksgiving and honor and power and might be unto our Elohim forever and ever. Amen. And one of the answers, one of the elders answered saying unto me, what are these which are arrayed in white robes and whence came they? And I said unto him, sir, you know, and he said unto me, these are they which came out of the great tribulation, right? Okay, wait a minute. Wait a minute. Hold on. Oh, just a minute. I'm sorry. I, I missed the verse. Let's go back and look at Revelation 7, 9. Okay, so we have people here, and these people are marked with the number 144,000. How many of them are there? Verse 9. After this, I beheld, and lo, a great multitude which no man could number of all nations and kindreds and people and tongues who stood before the throne, before the lamb, clothed with white robes and palms in their hand. Now, who is excluded from this group? Those who no longer have 144,000, but those who have the mark of the beast. And the mark of the beast is the number 216,000. Because that is 600 times 60 times six. Now I want to show you something else in this Greek while we're here. And we'll all come to you guys' hands just one second. I'm going to 
let everybody rip me apart here just one second. One of the words, one of the words that you see in this passage is this word right here. Okay, arithmon. Let's let me see if I can dial that up here. Arithmon. So this comes from the word arithmos, number, as in reckoned up, a number, right? And this is from G142, to lift, to take up, right? To keep in suspense, to sail away. By Hebraism, to expiate sin, away with, bear up, carry away, lift up, loose, make to doubt, put away, remove, take away, right? Okay, that's from that, but when you look at arithmos, a number, as in, uh, as in reckoned up. Now, it's very interesting that you would see in this configuration right here, we see keyed C stigma, right? So what do we know about stigma? Well, the stigma is a mark, right? They've been stigmatized, the stigmata, right? They've been stigmatized. They've, they've got a stigma associated with them. Mark. And when we look at the key, what do we see here? Okay. X equals 666. What is X? It is the arithmos. It is the unknown number the arithmos, okay? And so then we see that this here, well, this is the name, the name. All right. So the point I'm making is that when you're talking about calculate the number, calculate the number, right? Calculate the number. Calculate the unknown number, right? And this unknown number is, we're going to give you this number as 660 and 6. But if we see this realization in it being the third strand, then what do we see in that passage? What's it? How's it read again? Here is wisdom. Let him that has understanding calculate the number of the beast for it is the number of a man. What's man's number? Is man's number not the number of his genes? Okay. Let's go to some comments that way I can I'll get, get on the hot seat here very quickly. Okay, Catherine, go ahead. Hello, Stephen. Hi, um, I just wanted to um, give words of encouragement, really, um, for the body in the last days. I have got no fear whatsoever about the Third World War. And um, I firmly believe the house of Yasharel is the Church of Philadelphia. And I just wanted to give this, these, um, I don't know, my eyes aren't very good at this light. So if you can um, 
read for me Isaiah 30, 15. I would appreciate it. And then Revelation. I want to go back to the Church of Philadelphia because Revelation 3, 7, is it? I believe he's saying he will keep us safe <clears throat> because obviously the ones that are not vaxxed will obviously have the seal. And I believe the unvaxxed are the Church of Philadelphia. Look, I might be wrong, but I just wanted your opinion on that. Well, let's read this passage. Okay, Isaiah, Yeshayahu, chapter 30, beginning in verse 15. For thus says Adonai Yahweh, the Holy One of Yasharel, in returning and rest shall ye be saved. In quietness and in confidence shall be your strength. Great mm -hmm. verse, but it goes on and says, and ye would not, but ye said, no, we will flee upon horses. Therefore shall ye flee. And we will ride upon the swift. Therefore shall they that pursue you be swift. One thousand shall flee at the rebuke of one, and at the rebuke of five shall ye flee till ye be left as a beacon upon the top of a mountain that is on an ensign and on a hill. And therefore will Yahweh wait that he may be gracious unto you, and therefore he will be exalted that he may have mercy upon you. For Yahweh is an Elohim of judgment. Blessed are they that wait upon him. Right? Mm -hmm. And so we're called to wait and to be confident in strength and in quietness. Right? Mm -hmm. Amen. Okay. Yeah. Well, thank you for that, Catherine. Now, you you also were talking about the passage on Philadelphia, Church of Philadelphia. Revelation. Yeah. In Revelation. Sorry, Doc. If, oh, hey. if, I may just, if I may just say something there, that sounds very much like Sabbath, doesn't it? Like what? That sounds very much like Sabbath, doesn't it? Yeah, it does. And and that should be the mark or the seal that that seals Yah's people in these days. Yes. Those yes. that keep Sabbath, right? Yes. Just a thought. Just a thought. No, it's very true. That is the seal. Ezekiel twenty twenty, right? Ezekiel twenty twenty tells us that the seal of Yahweh is those who keep the Sabbath. And the Shabbat is such a fundamental part of creation. It's a fundamental part of everything that is Yahweh. And so as a consequence, you know, that, that rhythm of life is a very important marker. And I think also that you see, but I think Catherine's making the point about, you know, that, you know, the mRNA technology, by the way, was developed by a company that Justin Trudeau owns in British Columbia. And it was developed there in Vancouver at the University of British Columbia. And uh, so they've made a tremendous amount of, they made a tremendous amount of money out of uh, uh, this technology. Um, but nonetheless, that, you know, if you've ended up with the third strand of DNA, you know, we talked about this on Friday's show with, uh, with Jesse. We talked about the third strand of DNA that the queen had lit up, right? That lighting ceremony she had on her 70th Jubilee a three-strand DNA going up to a tree of the knowledge of good and evil where a serpent was found, by the way, right? And that idea that, we're, that we have arrived at a new age predicated upon a third strand of DNA, 
which would be accomplished using this mRNA. Uh, there is reason to believe that this is prophesied in scripture and that this prophecy in scripture is talking about this being, this is how you determine the mark of the beast because of the mark of the beast is the number of a man. And that number is a calculated number predicated upon 660 and six. Okay. But you're right, Catherine, there is nothing to fear in the third world war. What is, what is, you know, we do not fear men, we fear Yah. And so the mm. question in, in this coming third world war is what are we going to do? Because when everybody else is freaking out and running around going, what do we do? What do, we do? <laughs> yeah, we need to be able to say, well, we have one judge, one lawmaker, and one king, and we need to follow his ways. Do you know what those ways are? It's very important. Like when, when somebody comes up to you and says, I wonder what we should do here. Like I'll give you an example. We've been talking about it in this fellowship for over a month now. Cremation or no cremation? What is the scriptural teaching on it, right? There is a point when David burns the bones of Shaul's children that he found on a stake, that they would be reunited with Shaul and Jonathan, who also had been burned, right? And that is not condemned. Yet there are people who, who you know, burn the bones of their king, the Edomite, who is condemned. Mm. You know, we see the passage in Ecclesiastes saying, you know, for dust you are, and, you know, the dust will return to Yah at the end of Ecclesiastes. Paraphrases, you know, dust to dust, ashes to ashes kind of thing. But that question of what to do is a question for the Torah seeker. The question as to what happens in other aspects of life is a question for the Torah seeker. We need to be able to have an answer when people say, what do we do? Or, look, let's say, for instance, that... The digital world, which we're living right now, is completely destroyed, okay? It's completely destroyed. And you have young people who have known nothing but the digital world, right? There are people that are 21 years old now that were born after 9-11, mm. right? Keep that in mind. So what do they know? They know a digital world. That's all they know. Mm. So what do you tell them? When the digital world is completely gone, there's been an EMP. No chips work at all, anywhere, at any point. There's no electric grid. What are you going to tell them? I think they're going to freak. They're not going to yeah. be able to handle it. But Whereas, the, they, likes, whereas oh, the likes of you and me will get on with it. Sure, but the thing is, so Catherine, when they're freaking out, this is when we have the opportunity to say, be still, let your heart be still, and know that Yahweh is still present among us. The world may have changed, but Yahweh is forever the same, and his mm -hmm. law remains the same. And let me tell you how we can rebuild our social order, and we can rebuild our social order with righteousness and blessing. And maybe mm -hmm. for the first time, they'll have ears that are willing to hear. So true. But um, back to this um, third DNA strand. I mean, I thought that was a wonderful video of Hugo Talks. Yeah, wasn't that a great video? Brilliant. Um, I don't know, maybe, maybe 
I should send it to a couple of people. I only send it to you. Well, if you can put up the 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 the, uh, the link for that, Catherine, put it in the chat here. Right, I'll have to find it. I'm not that technical, but I'll do my best. Okay, um, yeah, because that particular video is prem is premised upon a book. I've ordered the book. I don't have it yet, but when I get okay. the author's book, I'm going to be able to take a closer look and see exactly what it is that he's discussing. But I think we, we looked at today, but when we looked at it last night, I don't know if you looked at the Greek passage in Revelation or not to see this idea of calculate. But for me, the critical question was calculate the number of the beast. It's not just mm -hmm. look at it and say, gee, there's the number, but it mm -hmm. is calculate. Mm -hmm. Calculate means something different. It means you either add, subtract, multiply, or divide. Mm -hmm determine what's going on and here we have something that is very closely linked to the 144,000 so again we're seeing something that's being revealed in revelation that had never been revealed before mm -hmm. right. i do believe the ones that are sealed um because the promise of keeping us safe um i do believe that the ones that are going to be sealed are the ones that are not going to be vexed are the ones that are not going to have that third um, third DNA strand. Yeah. And I, well, remember I just, what it says at the oh. end of Joel, that I will cleanse mm -hmm. the blood that I have not cleansed. Mm -hmm. And, yeah, the ones who have been vexed, I believe, Yah has the mercy and the power. He has the mercy and the power. Mm -hmm. I, I'm just very disappointed in the royal family. I do believe, I firmly believe now, they are going to fall very hard and flat on their faces. And apparently, William was the one who had the idea of the tree. I say no more. Yeah, you don't need to. That's all. And then, of course, Charles being associated with the with that Commonwealth Games opening, you know, standing there in front of it, announcing that pagan ritual. Um, they have got no knowledge whatsoever. The Church of England has let down Britain so badly because they lack understanding. They have no understanding of the mysteries of the word. The Queen is the head of the Church of England. and Instead of the queen searching out scriptures, understanding the mysteries of the word, because she is the head of the church, and she should order the church to teach the folks of Britain correctly, but she sits and listens to them. You know, I don't and know if you recall. Awesome. I mean, that's well said. Really I mean, it's well said. They are going to fall. They are going to fall. It's going to happen before our eyes. I know. I know. I, when I watched Charles announce the Commonwealth Games, I knew it in my heart that he will never, he'll never take the throne. It'll never happen for him. Um, if he does take it, it'll be very temporary. But yeah, we'll bring them down because of the abominations. No. Well, you mentioned, you mentioned something to me the other day that I thought was very interesting, that Britain only has two weeks of ammunition remaining yes, and that the British yes, Army is the smallest it's ever been. Here we are, you know, and World War Three has started, you know, on Tishpa'a. They can't defend themselves. The tribe of Ephraim, 
Britain cannot defend itself. So it will have to take the hand of Yah to put his wing over this nation. Literally. Because... Um, well, we're not done yet. Do not give up on Yah. Never give up on Yah. Never no, give up. I haven't given up on Yah. It will have to take Yah's wing to protect the tribe of Ephraim. Yeah. Well, you know, Yah's hand is moving in such marvelous ways right now, Catherine. I'll tell you that, first of all, the demon forces are destroying everything they've built. It's like, mm. we're going to have a global one world order. Then they mm. promptly destroyed the global one world order with, with their war in Ukraine. Mm. We're going to have a digital social credit system and currency that's all, mm. all going to be digital currency. And mm. now they started a war where China is is cutting off Taiwan, who is the great makes 90% of the microchips in the world. So, I mean, you know, I mean, they're just killing their own world. Everything that came out of their mouth, they're poisoning. They're poisoning their own well, you know. And so, you know, this is the hand of Yah moving. And so even though look at this and say, okay, we're under a grave threat and a dire threat. At the end of the day, the dark forces in this world are falling. And they're falling mm-hmm. very, very quickly, and so, and they're falling mm-hmm. by their own mouth. What, what did, what was the the smiting language of Tishbaav? As you have said, so I will do. Mm-hmm. As you have said, so I will do. What did they say? Would that we should die in the wilderness. That's mm-hmm. what they said. Well, you said it. Mm-hmm. You said it, and so that's what's going to happen, mm-hmm. right? But if Klaus Schwab doesn't pop off, sorry, I don't like that man, and his little minions, I do believe believe the people will rise up against him. What do you mean will rise up? Have you seen what's going on in the Netherlands? Have you seen what's going on in Germany? Have you seen what's going on in France? I mean, the farmers are going nuts. Of course they are. Yeah. You will own nothing. But if they see the people see the elites owning everything, oh my goodness, the people will rise up. Well, you know, that's part of the reason why I'm supporting Harari for uh, Harari for president in the US. Let's get that guy in. Anyway, that's enough of that. We won't talk about yeah, any defamation. I just wanted to encourage people, just don't fear. Because Yah's got all in hand, literally. There you go. And that's what I'm trying to say. And this goes for Britain, too. You know, don't be surprised if the war does not come to Britain because Britain will be so catatonically weakened that mm-hmm. it will have no opportunity to go to war. You know, I remember mm-hmm. when I was in when I was in the nation of Georgia, Ajara, that the province of Ajara wanted to have a civil war with uh, the main, you know, with the forces in Belize. And the president of Ajara, who declared a separatist state, Saakashvili shows up and they did the one thing they could do to prevent Saakashvili's troops from coming in. They blew up a bridge. Mm-hmm. And Saakashvili said, okay, well, we'll, we'll replace that bridge and bring our tanks over it. And then the president of Ajara just capitulated. And he, why did they capitulate? He says, we don't have enough money to have a civil war here. We don't have enough money to do anything. Let's just forget about <laughs> it. And I think that's mm-hmm. going to be the situation. That, and that will be the thing that rescues Britain. It will not be Let's put some more troops together and, and you know, uh, mm. go into battle. That's not what's going to happen. Okay, thanks, Catherine. Okay.
Shalom, everyone. Shalom. Love you and yeah, all of you. <laughs> okay, David, how are you this morning, brother? Shabbat Shalom, Stephen. Shabbat Shalom. Uh, it's Boker Tov, all right, but it is also an ominous time at uh, Teshubiah. Yes, it is. What I have is uh, the two covenants. Speaking of the one that was uh, made at Mount Sinai in Arabia with a mountain that burned with fire and the covenant of Shalom. This is the covenant that I make with uh, with you after the, these days, saith you. That's a, a major difference. One doesn't perfect and the other one does. That's such a big difference that can you blend the mind of the first covenant with the mind of the last covenant? Yeah, you can. And you'll get what? Nothing because you're double-minded. You have the covenant of works where you're going about to establish your own righteousness by your works or it's the Ruach, Hayua, that leads you and reveals everything to you and produces what you have. If you need, if you, it says, oh, you simple. How long will you stay simple? Ask and I'll tell you. Well, basically that means, oh, stupid. How long are you going to stay stupid? I'll tell you. Now, you can ask me and I won't punish you for it. I'll tell you. Okay. When you don't do that and you lean on and, you, and, and it goes about to establish your own righteousness by your own works and your own reasoning, then you're leaning on your own understanding. Then is that going to produce what the promise is of the wisdom and the hutmah and the abina, is that what it's called, uh, of Yahuwah? Well, not completely. Not, not completely. It doesn't because I know it doesn't. Now, this is what I have, and I've had it for years. The seven uh, years of tribulation, beginning with the beginning of sorrows and going into the great tribulation, is in the seventh millennium. It crosses over the line. It is the darkness of the seventh millennium. It comes in great darkness and gets darker and darker until midnight. And the midnight hour is when the bridegroom comes for the remnant that have died to self and are not blended and are, 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 have come to the point where they go with him at midnight. Well, there's a division there. There's some that have a lamp. They don't have that oil. They don't have that oil to go with the bridegroom. They realize when soon when they find the door shut that it that they didn't go, and the the, the great tribulation is upon them. Well, only a, only a remnant go with them. Although the children of Yisrael be as the sands of the sea, only a remnant shall have this uh, opportunity. So that remnant is an exclusive remnant. Exclusive, complete priests and, and, and have the sovereignty of Yahuwah, have the sovereignty. Well, where do they go? Well, they get to a point where it 
to me, and this is, I, I, I believe that, I don't believe it, I know it. The first of the resurrection, the first fruits of the resurrection are the ones that go to the wedding. And, and, and you see the return of the first fruits of the resurrection at the last trump, which is Yom Teruah, I mean Yom Kippur. Go with the, at midnight at Yom Teruah, the day that no man knows and has been the day that no man knows for a long time. And then 10 days of awe. And then appear on Yom Teruah as Yahushua returns out of the wilderness in power as a shadow and a type. When that happens, the, the, the reign of Yahuwah, the proclaim the reign in all the earth, comes from the mouth of those that are completed in him and the body is saved. The salvation of that remnant has the first fruits of the salvation of the body and the 144,000, the 100, at least 120,000 for sure. Uh, uh, the ones that have are partially bailed. That's an interesting story. I'd love, to, I'd love to take the time to talk about the ones that are partially bailed because they have a, an interesting job <clears throat> and it's really a small remnant. Now, don't want to debate who they are i mean it looks like to me that the ones that are partially veiled have a, ha, are not able to come to know the name because they're partially veiled like uh yermi 4426 says there's also they have that go about to establish their own righteousness by their works they're in the field acting like a servant instead of in the house acting like a son okay so but there's a remnant of those that come to the come to the fullness of that. How how goes all the way back, I suppose. But be to the firstborn of Ephraim, the firstborn of Ephraim uh, is a remnant, and <clears throat> not the whole tribe. A remnant, and and the manifestation of that remnant or the fullness of nations that we see in the definition of who they are in Revelation chapter seven. And when you turn and you look and says, where did this other bunch come from? This other bunch was brought into the bond of the covenant with wrath poured out. This is the great crowd that was talked about in Ezekiel chapter 20, verse 35, and brought to the bond of the covenant by who? By the anointed and sent and whole remnant. And that manifestation is operating. We're getting close to that manifestation. To not to uh, to not have if you if you've ever had uh, 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 the dominion of Yahuwah and walk in it, you can see the thing bow to him. You can see everything bow to him. And I, I, he took me through some experiences that led me to this understanding. I didn't do it. I, I don't do anything. He doesn't reveal anything but except by his Ruach Hayahua. Nothing. Not by mind of man, not by the strength of uh, man's reasoning, because that will get in your way. And to be able to tie to self to that and be able to hear his voice is, the, is, is priority. That's, that's the priority here. 
It doesn't mean that you're going to break his commandments. You're going to keep them because he writes it in your heart and, and places it in your mouth. Now, to be born again, to be born from the dead, you have to have the testimony that comes from that, joint, that union. You have to have the repentance of, uh, uh, of the turning away, but you also have to have the living word of Yahuwah come out of your mouth to produce a new creation and be born from the dead. How does that work? You keep saying, oh, the, the, uh, the living word is in your heart and in your mouth. And, you, and, and the pen of the ready writer is his pen. It's your tongue. And if you keep your tongue, you keep your life. Now, how does that work? He says, this is the covenant of shalom I make with you after those days. I'm going to cause this to happen. I'm going to write it in your heart and place it in your mind. Wow. You mean, uh, oh, okay. How does that work? You have to completely depend on me without any dependence on your own strength. How's that going to work? Well, there's this, there's the situation. Are you going to do it? Have you going to die to self? And as I, as I, and this wasn't overnight. This was a process. This has been a process and still is. I, it looks like to me, we're coming to midnight. We're coming to the bridegroom coming for the remnant and only the remnant. And the remnant are going to be uh, uh, in a position to be made complete. And, the, and, and, the, and you, you don't see that. You, let me point this out. This would be the, I'll, I'll, I'll cut it short. The Assembly of Philadelphia has to be, has to be in the seventh millennium when they are given dominion over the door. Because Yahuwah gave the earth to the children of Adam. And the children of Adam is what's been running the thing in the first 6,000 years because of that door. They have dominion over the door. They don't in the seventh millennium, in the nighttime of the seventh millennium. And it's in the nighttime that the people that don't know him come to know him. And why, when he comes with the living stones from gathering them up from the four corners of the earth, guarding the great crowd that's been brought to the bond of the covenant and come riding with him as living stones with the chief cornerstone, all see him and know him. The whole, all the nations see him and know him because they've come into the bond of the covenant in the wilderness of the people with wrath poured out. And that's the reason they're, they're, everybody else that don't is dead. They're done. It's over. The thousand-year millennial reign has begun in the light in that day spring. But has, has the, in the nighttime, we're coming to the time where the transition is fixing to get real big in the, the deep darkness. But the light in Goshen is only going to be for uh, the remnant. There's only going to be a remnant that have that light in Goshen. Hey, Shabbat Shalom. Thank you for giving me the opportunity to share. Yeah, well, I mean, I want to ask you a question, though. So what does this mean, died to self? Can you give me an example of how this works out? I didn't uh, guide yourself. 
die to self, die to self. How does this work out? Well, to me, I had to come to the point where I had to ask so that I would have it. It says, uh, what's self and what's not? What's you? See, if I keep my tongue, the wise answer of the tongue comes from Yahuwah. And the tongue is the only one that can bring it under control is Yahuwah. So in my strength, I can't do it. To die to self is putting this, these lips and this tongue on, on, uh, under his authority. Now, how do I do that? I ask him. I ask him to uh, 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 cause this to go. You know, from, from the mind of man to be quiet in the assembly and like the woman in the garden to be quiet until it becomes a hod with the renewed spirit. That's a big deal. And it's impossible with a natural man. It has to have the renewed covenant to do it. And the renewed covenant says he will cause it to happen, not my ability. I hope that was enough. Yeah, I mean, the reason I asked the question is because when I think about the idea of we needn't do anything because Yah's going to place it in our heart. And yet, and I do believe that Yah has placed it in our heart. And yet society goes out of its way to sear the consciousness. In fact, everything about the objective of the adversary right now is to take the Torah that has been poured into the heart, mind, and soul and burn it out of you. That's why you have wokeism. That's why you have politically correct speech. You know what I mean? Like, to give you an example, Alex Jones yesterday got hit with a $43 million judgment award because he said Sandy Hook was a fraud. Okay. Now, <clears throat> that is purging the words out of somebody's mouth. Okay purging the words out of somebody's mouth. A friend of mine yesterday was forced to sell his family home because he was engaged in political free speech in the state of Washington. And the governing class does not want to have politically free speech in the state of Washington, particularly affecting their ability to loot the coffers of the people that are there. So we see that the society right now declares something to be false. And if you do not accept the narrative, then you can be sanctioned into oblivion. What's the lesson to be learned? There is no First Amendment. There is no free speech remaining in America. There have been people that have lost their jobs, fired from tenured positions on university campuses because they failed to use the selected pronoun that a person wants to have applied to them. They were referred to a guy who is now transgendered as he instead of she, and they lose their job because of that. So the social order is searing the conscience. You will not project the Torah that is in your life, in your heart, soul, and mind. We will burn it out of you because you harbor ideas which are anathema to the God of this world, to the Prince of the air. And you shall not speak those and you shall not even harbor those in your mind. I mean, they're working on AI technology 
that allows them to predict whether or not you're actually thinking that. So when we look at this idea of the covenant expressed in Jeremiah 31, 31, or Hebrews 8, 8, where you find this, I will do a new thing. I will pour my ruach into your heart, mind, and soul. I wonder how many people have the Torah in their heart, mind, and soul after the ruach has poured it in there. I wonder how many people have retained that, how many people have walked away from that, how many people have betrayed it, how many people have replaced it. That's one question. And the other question I have is this, you know, when I talk about the Torah and talk about uh, bringing the Torah into the law to understand that Yah is our lawmaker, our king and our judge. When we say, well, look, Yah has poured the Torah into your heart, mind and soul. Okay. I gave my altar call confession 48 years ago, and Yah poured his Torah into my, into my heart, mind, and soul. Therefore, end of inquiry, end of story. I needn't understand anything further in the written Torah because he poured it into my heart, mind, and soul. Therefore, what has happened? Well, look at our world. Is there something wrong with our world? I think everything is wrong with our world. And I think that God does provide answers. Paul says that all scripture is good for instruction and that you are to renew your not your mind with the knowledge. And Peter says, you have to be able to justify your faith in the knowledge of what you believe. So when somebody asks you, why do you believe that? Can you justify it? Can you tell them why? Or do you say, I just believe? In which case, when you hold that position, in come the anti-missionaries like Tobias Singer, who proceeds to shred your belief in front of the people who are standing beside you looking for your light. And he proceeds to shred you using the scriptures against you, okay. which he has done. I mean, there's anti-missionaries. You know, I had some friends in Montana that warned me and they said, look, as soon as you put together a fellowship discussing the totality of scripture, anti-missionaries will arrive to destroy your fellowship. And, you know, they come in, Paul's a false prophet. First thing that comes out of their mouth, Paul's a false prophet. And since, and once you determine that Paul's a false, false prophet, then all of the New Testament is false. Once the New Testament is false, all the Old Testament is false. I've seen these guys create atheists right in front of my face. Seen, I've seen it happen. It's happened to my fellowships. I've seen this happen. So, you know, when we, when we look at what, I mean, I agree with you that dying to self is a big part of this, that but when we talk about dying to self, what is this? I mean, I think it's a simple equation. Not my will, but his will be done. Not, what, not my will in his life, in my life, but his will in my life. You know, our will in our life, we have very shallow goals right? Give me a bigger house, fancier car. You know, there's more things in a big house than a new car. There's a boat, right? There's a plane, there's a this, there's a that. There's all kinds of things you can get to serve the flesh, which is what our desires seek. But Yah's will is something else because Yah is going to put you to work in his kingdom. Do the work of the kingdom, right? I think dying to self is where you set aside your you set aside, you know, your desires and you ask, not my will, Father, but your will be done. 
in me, right? This is dying to self, I think. And so we talk about dying to self and following that out. But the question becomes when Mashiach says, I am the way, the truth, and the life. And then the scripture says, walk in his ways and follow his paths. What are those ways? What are those paths? Right? In the, in the, in the best route portion today, it reads, and you shall be cast out of the synagogue on my, for my sake. You shall be cast out of your fellowship on my sake, right? I mean, I've been kicked to, kicked to the curb out of churches. You need to leave. You can't stay here anymore. Because you, you read a passage of the Bible that we don't read. We don't talk about scripture that we, that we can't say, you know. I mean, I agree with your take, too, about, about the uh, tribulation falling into the opening of the millennial reign. This would be consistent with the, the micro example that the month begins on the dark new moon, right? On the on the Chodesh, this dark moon in 81.3, it talks about the month beginning on the dark moon. And if the, if, if the month begins on the dark moon, then we're going to see darkness in the beginning of the millennial reign too, because that conjunction is what's going to start that. And so we do see, and I think that's a very good word about the overlap. But I just want to caution us because I know I get carried away when I talk about the Torah and the instruction and so on and so forth. But if we don't talk about the Torah in the absence of us advancing the instruction of Yah, men will replace it with the instruction of Balaam. They'll, they'll replace it with the instruction of Molech. They'll replace it with the instruction of the Baphomet. They'll replace it with the instruction of Lucifer. They'll replace it with the instruction of Hasatan immediately. I mean, the instant you stop talking, they're filling in the gap with their stuff. The instant you stop putting the blood of the lamb into the social order, they're putting the tainted blood of their demon where the, where the blood of the lamb should have been. And so as a consequence, we see the sheep of his, of Yah's pasture out in the field being butchered by wolves or worse in pastures by, that are being governed by wolves as shepherds, Right. And so, I mean, this is what this is what the situation is. So, I mean, what do we do? What do we do here, David? You know, when when the bombs go off, and the EMPs go off, and all the chips fail, and all the computers are down, and everything else, and you have people wandering in a daze. What do we tell them? Well, you're on your own. Sure, wish Yah would have poured the Torah into your heart because you'd be in a different position than you are right now. And you, you, you said, what do we tell them? We tell them what the Ruach, how Yahuwah has to say, not what we have to say. Yeah, amen. Because the only thing that's going to ever make any difference is his voice and his word. And that will only be the only thing that can be said that will have any dominion because the head of the house, the head of the assembly is the living word made flesh and dwelling amen. amongst us. And the thing about it is, is that the difference is in the Torah, understanding the Torah, is, is really manifested in when Yahushua said after the 70 and the 12 had gone out and worked miracles, they came back and he said, okay, boys, if you don't drink my blood and eat my flesh, you don't have any part with me. And they just flipped out. They flipped out and they couldn't handle it because they did not spiritually discern it. They discerned right. the first covenant, the covenant of works. 
no, I'm not going to run up and take a bite out of your leg or in your neck. I'm not going to drink your blood and eat your flesh. What are you talking about? That's see, that was so outlandish. Then he turned to his his chosen ones and he says, "Hey, boys, you want to go too?" And you know, they had enough wherewithal in that to know. Said, "We don't know where else to go to find the words of life." But let me let me let me let me. That's a big deal. That's a really big deal. But let me show you something, David, because here is where the error was made in the first covenant. It was not made with the covenant of Yah. It was made, and again, what we see here in Tisha B'Av, why did Yah elect to smite Yasharel? Because of their cowardice, right? He told them, here's the land I gave you, go in and take it. And we can't go in there. They're way too big for us. Well, you know, better we would die in the wilderness. But what else happened because of their cowardice? Well, you had Yahweh appear to them face to face at Horeb. That's how it's recited in Numbers. That's how it's recited in Devarim. He appeared to them face to face. And in his appearance to them face to face, they freaked out. We don't want to see him anymore. You go talk to him. Right? Yeah. And so what do you see take place? Moshe establishes himself and the Torah, his law, as the mediator between man and Yah. Now, the covenant that is renewed in Jeremiah 31 and, and Hebrews 8.8 8, and at the, at the giving of the Brit Hadashah with the taking of the cup and, and eating of the flesh is that Moshe is no longer the mediator. The Torah is no longer the mediator. Yahusha is the mediator. Right. He didn't cross over either. Yeah. And, and so this is where you get all of this stuff about the, about the law of sin and death. The law of sin and death being your mediator. This is what Paul is talking about. This is no longer your mediator. There is no, you're not going to succeed at arriving into the Holy of Holies by completing the mediation of Moshe. You walk through the Holy of Holies because of the shedding of the blood of Mashiach. This is how we walk through the Holy of Holies. So the mediator has been replaced. And the mediator was given. I mean, when you look at it, the idea of the animal sacrifice, right? So what happens? First of all, you have Levi who commits murder at, at um, Shechem. Levi and Simon, they commit murder at Shechem. They kill their sister's rapist. And all of his family. Okay. So Levi has this kind of long-time curse that Yaakov reiterates in Genesis 49. Then Aaron, while Moshe is up on the mount, Aaron creates the golden calf. And when Moshe looks at Aaron and he says, what did you do? I don't know. They gave me gold. I put it in the fire. Out came a golden calf. Literally, that's what he said, right? They put it in the fire. Out came a golden calf. No, he created the golden calf. And so 3,000 people die at the hand of Yah immediately on the spot, but not Aaron, not Aaron. What does Yah do with Aaron instead? Well, you are a Levite. You are a son of violence, as it reads in, in, the, in Genesis 49. Here's what you're going to do for the next 1,500 years. You're going to kill the animal that you were worshiping. You're going to kill that animal on a daily basis. You're going to kill other animals. You're going to be the one doing the slaughter. 
You're going to be the one doing the animal because you want to worship an animal, an animal you will kill. And it will be you and your sons who will be doing this. And you will have no land and you will have no other future. Your future is to kill animals in order to, uh, to, to you know, set back the sins of the house of Yasharel. And, and Moshe, similarly, I mean, when you look closely at Moshe, you see Moshe sinning all over the place. What happens when, when that curse was given on Tish B'Av? Was Moshe told, you're going to go into the land? You, Moshe, and your brother Aaron, and Joshua, and Caleb? Nope. Yah tells Moshe, none of you are going in the land except Joshua and Caleb. And what does scripture record about Moshe's death? He was vital when he died. There was nothing wrong with him. There was nothing wrong with him. But you can't come into the land. Right? So what we see with Moshe is we do see somebody who rebelled, somebody who did his own thing, somebody who asserted his own power. And because of the fear of Yasharel, Things happened. Animal sacrifice was given because of the fear of Yasharel. Moshe became the mediator, and his Torah became the mediator instead of Yahusha. So when Yahusha says, I came to fulfill the Torah, he came to fulfill the Torah to take the fear from Yasharel. We don't want to see his face. Yes, we do want to see his face. They didn't want it because they were, we don't want to see his face. We're too afraid. We do want to see his face. We do want that entrance into the Holy of Holies. And we want that entrance free of works, free of the mediation of Moshe. And this is what Paul was teaching, that Moshe is not your mediator. The law of sin and death is not your mediator. Moshe's face and his veil is not your mediator. The mediator is Mashiach. But it doesn't change the fact that it was the handwritten law of Yah himself that was given to mankind. And that law still exists. And that law is still present for the house of Yasharel. Because if we love Yah, then we follow his commands. Matthew 28, go to the whole world, baptize them, and teach them to obey all that I have commanded. John 10, if you love me, you keep my commandments. First John 5, this is the love of Yah, keeping his commandments. People came to him and said, we cast out demons in your name. We yield in your name. Get away from me, you sons of iniquity. I do not know you. I do not know you. So we don't keep the law in order to obtain salvation. We keep the law because we love Yah. And he gives us a way. He says, this is the way. When you get up in the morning, David, you get up in the morning. You can get up on the left side of the bed. You can get up on the right side of the bed. You can get up off the foot of the bed. Now, one of those ways is correct, and the others aren't. When you walk out the front door, you can walk to the left. You can walk to the right. You can walk straight ahead. One way is correct. The others are not. And when we look at life, there are many, many paths. And believe me. We've had this absolute vomit of diversity puked out on us for years and years now. Oh, diversity is our strength. Diversity is our strength. You know what they're saying to you? 
Multiple gods is what makes us strong. The worshiping of multiple gods is what makes us strong. Multiple sources of law is what makes us strong. Multiple teachings. We don't just need to rely on the Bible. We should rely on secular authority and Aristotle and Socrates and Confucius and Plato and blah, 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 blah. That's what makes us strong. Right? It's like telling your wife, you know what makes our marriage strong? Me having multiple partners. Try it. Right? Just like telling this, the trooper when he pulls you over. Hey, I'm not under the law. Right? <laughs> There's things you can do in this world. Anyway, enough of that. But I think you've, you've, you've registered a really good point about the, millennium, about the millennial reign and about it being in the dark. That's a, that's a really critical point. And, you know, when you say, David, and I'm just going to ask you one question on this. When you say that uh, we're in the time of trouble now, right? That Mashiach is at the door. I mean, I just want to get your opinion. Uh, where do you think we are in terms of this, these tribulation events? I was praying about it considerably over a period of time with some brothers that I have known for years and we're like-minded. And uh, we've been praying about this because we know the season and we'll be prepared. It won't come upon us as a thief. Uh, my thoughts were when we see when we see Turkey and uh, Iran uh, make their alliance, and then Libya just recently, that farmed it that that farmed it up with, with in my understanding that we're we're right at it now. What just happened with the with the uh, Jews in the land? They just had a a pretty good gunfight, big big gunfight yesterday, the day before over Tisha B'av. They had, uh, and, and they're expecting another big one, a really big one right now. So, but that's really obvious to me that as we're coming to the manifestation of Ezekiel 38, that we're also coming to midnight. And we're coming to a time where the, the world uh, pressure from the devil is, uh, is, is, and the pressure of, uh, of it was dominion on, on that ruler that's causing all this uh, weather havoc and all these people are rising up against it. <laughs> we're seeing it coming. It looks like to me uh, that we're seeing it coming at midnight. And I believe that's the day that no man knows that Yom Teruah. It's halfway, but it's halfway between a year. And uh, it's the day that no man knows uh, traditionally. And it, has to do it sets the it sets the stage of the fall feasts and it sets the stage of coming to yom teruah uh, if it is if it is you know i'm looking and saying well i don't believe in the in the conjunction moon the darkness particularly but i'm not going to throw it out in the, in the weeds because there's a time i've got to watch and pray and and the, i believe in the sighting of the light personally i like the sliver idea because you see the light that's when it begins but that's personal i'm not saying i want to nail that you know nail that down because i know the season i'm uh, you know them calling at the head of the year and, the, and celebrating the new year and everything that's that's just as far as i'm concerned uh, uh, 
a mistake, Jewish mistake that they've been partially bailed over and it's a mess. And I got, I got, I spent quite a bit of time with Messianic Judaism and the Hebrew roots to try to figure out what was going on. And boy, that was quite an education. That was many years ago, years and years ago. Now, <clears throat> definitely in a ditch, definitely can't hear, can't see because of certain things going on. And you, you can tell them what's going on and they won't hear it. They won't come near his name. They just won't, don't do it. Yeah, I know. And so I know, you know, I know that's what I know you do. I know there's, I understand you have, uh, the reason I'm even here on this, on this Zoom meeting is because I believe Yahuwah told me to pay attention. And uh, so I've been paying attention. And so it looks like to me, let me get back to it. This coming Yom Teruah, the Feast of Trumpets, the begin, uh, beginning of the fall feast is midnight. And the, day that, and, and the days in that time, it'll come to a point where no man can work. It'll be so dark in the world that no man can do anything in their own strength. It'll be chaotic. It'll be tremendous. And we're coming to that. And the darkness has fallen hard now. And it looks like to me, uh, what you've been saying, I'm, I'm digging it. You know, I'm not saying that ain't going to happen that day, but I believe that, uh, you has is going to take the bows and and destroy the arrows uh in a way that he, he talks about uh in in a certain attacking uh, a major attack that's fixing to happen and that is going to be a phenomenon that we're going to see his dominion come to come to uh come his dominion is really interesting steve uh, Stephen, i I asked him one time, he, when he told me to move from Alaska and ended up in Austin, Texas, and I said, I don't have any idea why I'm here. He said, I'm going to tell you why you're here. I'm going to show you something. He gave me a job traveling the state of Texas, doing uh, tax studies to get the manufacturer in the state of Texas a tax deduction. Well, I ended up doing uh, a, a, a great big plant, me and a youngster, general dynamics with just me and him we had to line item list everything in the plant under each separate electric meter and each gas meter well i came in there and i said well which how many you have so we have 100 107 buildings on the campus and each all of it's on one electric meter and on one gas meter so i went oh my god hallelujah hallelujah <laughs> this is impossible with man i'm fixing they're you know they're building f-16s and assembly line I said, how long is this building? He says, this building's three miles long. That building that's adjacent to it has 11,000 horse chillers in it. And the building adjacent, it is a million square foot office building. And you can't walk around in it. They'll shoot you in the head. But we're going to give you dominion to go wherever you want to go. I'm going to go. Oh, praise you. Oh. So I couldn't. I walked out there and they said, in the natural, it was way bigger than me. Way and when he showed me how to put it in a bag, the engineer that was leading, opening the doors for me says, David, do you have a minute? I said, yes, sir. Ed, Ed said, sat down. He says, David, I've been working here for 15 years. I've watched myself grow old in the reflection in this computer. He says, I've seen a lot of things. He said, you know, that shoot me dead. And places you just waltzed, waltzed into. That shoot me dead, even me. 
And he says, you put this thing in a suitcase and walked out with it, David. He said, how in the world did you do that? And I, I looked at him, I said, Ed, I don't know how you're going to take this because you're grown up and looking at things in a, in, in a plain face-to-face -face thing. But it's the only way I could have done this is the maker of heaven and earth showed me the way to do it. He, he, put, he made this thing bow and, and yield to his, to his, 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 his dominion. His dominion. I, didn't do, yeah. I didn't do it. I didn't. And I went through years and years of that kind of walk with him, brother, to come to this. His dominion, his dominion is so extremely powerful that we have, when we're shod with uh, the full armor with the full armor he'll make even our enemies be at peace with us he, he if our ways please him he'll make even our enemies be at peace with us how big yeah. is that Woo, yeah, that's big. It's, it, yeah it is so true you know and, and that the word there rada rada the dominion the dominion of yah you get excited you know, we talked a little bit about this last night it is not us that is intimidating anybody it's not us that is causing anybody to yield, but it is the dominion of Yah. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Yeah, yeah. And and it is, yeah, well, that's that's a fantastic, that's a fantastic discussion, David. I really appreciate that. Thank you. You know, one last thing I want to say about this, you know, we talk about Yom Teruah, and we're going to be in Britain during Yom Teruah this year. I know. You know, the what's interesting about that is that Yom Teruah was a reconciliation day on the calendar. You know, we have leap day, you know, February 29th, it's leap day in a leap year. Well, part of that feast for David and Jonathan, you see, it was a much bigger deal. That feast during the time of David and Jonathan was a three-day feast. It's a three-day feast. And it was because they calculated their leap day, the leap day of the year they calculated at that time. And so anything that was left over from the year, now maybe if you're a 364-day calendar guy, anything that was left over, they would sit and wait for those days to accumulate until they saw that sliver moon. So if that was 365 or 366 days, they waited. That's why it was a traditionally a three-day feast. And so you would see this, but you see this in, you know, it's talked about in Kings. It's not talked about elsewhere. By the time you get to Solomon and all that stuff, they've gone away completely from that. But during the time of Shaul and David and Jonathan, that was a three-day feast. And so this is why the discussion is about no man knows the hour, yeah. because they were waiting for the accumulation of the leap day, if you will, uh, to accumulate. And they awaited it physically. So, you know, now we use all this technique to adjust the algorithm to perfect the calendar, you know, through observance and all this other stuff. But the simple observance was, this is our observance technique. We wait for this to arrive, and when it arrives, we've arrived at the new year. And they practiced it apparently in the seventh month and not in the first month. Now, there's also discussion that originally the calendar was started in the seventh month, and Moshe is the one that changed it to the month of Aviv, right? Because of the Exodus. Well, you know, okay, I'm, I'm not going to get down the road in the calendar, but I just wanted to talk about Yom Teruah and about how the Yom Teruah has that aspect to it. Right. And then when you're talking about the 10 days of darkness from Yom, Yom Teruah to Yom Kippur, right, these things coming up, you know, and all of these things are before us. And, uh, you know, so for my wife and I, you know, we're, we're looking at this thing. We're saying, regardless of what happened, regardless of, of, of what, 
we have a calling to be in Britain for this period of time to do this. And we have to do this and we're going. And, you know, if, if, if we end up in the British Isles and we can't leave, well, this is, this is the will of God too, you know? I mean, every time I've ever done mission work, it's always been a question of if you go, what if you go and you can't leave, right? What if you go and you can't get back out? What if you go and something happens to you? What if you go and you end up, you know, I mean, I'm not going to say any of those things, but what if that happens? Are you prepared to do that? Well, if it's Yah's will, it's Yah's will. That's what has to be done, right? I have something concerning your trip to England or to the British Isles that I, I wouldn't like to say. Uh, is that for you to beware uh, of the snare of, of a flattering tongue? Uh, of a flattering tongue will lay a snare for you that is to stop you, the anointing, is to stop the the the, the job that Yahuwah wants to do. Yeah, I hear, I hear, I hear exactly what you're saying, David. You know, another friend of mine, a friend of mine in Kenai, Cole, he said to me, you know. When people lift you up, instead of lifting up the name of Yah, they set you up for assassination. Exactly. I mean, that's what happens. This guy, you know, we're listening to this guy instead of listening to Yah. It has absolutely nothing to do with me. There's not, it is, none of this is about me at all. This is about bringing the word of Yah back into the British Isles to talk about what? To talk about the things that Paul talked about to talk about the restoration of the faith, to talk about losing the Roman leash. But it's not just the Roman leash, right? It's losing the worship of the Baphomet. We're going to be in Birmingham where they just ran that Commonwealth pagan pageantry. We're going to be in Birmingham. You know, and we're going to be in other places where there is open satanic worship going on. We're going to be in places that are the pockets of witchcraft in Britain. This, this has absolutely nothing to do with me. Nothing to do with me. And keep, in mind, keep in mind, Stephen, that if your ways please Yahuwah, he'll make your enemies be at peace with you. And keep that in your, in your mouth and keep it in your ears and, 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 uh, and be aware that a flattering tongue is going to try to snare you. Yeah, yeah. And I appreciate that word of advice, David. And I mean, this is, these, are, these are words spoken by true people uh, who have walked the humble path. And you know, David, you know the truth of this statement that you're delivering here today. Because again, when people say, oh, well, I listen to Dr. P, I'm set up for, well, I'm going to bash that guy in the face with a sledgehammer then. You know, I mean, that's the, that's the immediate reaction. Oh, you're listening to that guy? Well, let me hit him in the face with a sledgehammer and see how he does, right? That's the reaction because that's the way the world is. That's why I don't want people to be lifting me up at all. It's not about me. It is about, it's like when people say, oh, the suffer, you did a great job in writing this book. I didn't write a word of it. <laughs> yeah. It's not my writing, you know? And, and all I'm trying to do is find what has been written. That's all I'm trying to find is what has been written and to share with you guys what I have found. That's it, right? I'm, yeah. I, I spend my time looking at what is written and to share with you guys what I'm finding. That's it. That's it. Cool. You know, cool. And, 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 and let the let the ruach get all the praise. Let Yah get all the praise. Let the ruach do all the work. And cool. you know, and, and you know what my prayer is, David. I just want to be the willing vessel through whom the ruach flows. Cool. That's all. That's all. Yeah. 
And, and, and when Yah calls me into, into a mission like this, what do you do? Are you going to say no? I'm sorry. I said, here I am. Send me. And then he sends you. And then you say, well, I can't go. I'm not going to be able. I'm sorry. I've got other things I've got on my, you know, I can't make the wedding because I've got a, an appointment and I've got a this and I've got a that. And I've got any other thing. You know, if you talk to, to my buddy, John here, who's in our, in our fellowship, when you do mission work, you give up the rest of your life. You give up the rest of your life. You know, when other people are spending their money on vacations and buying their second home and, and, and you know, filling out their 401k, I spent all that money doing mission work. You know, that's where my time and effort went. And that's where my time and effort continues to go. I don't know. I just pray that yeah, yeah, well, will bless me and that I will take your words of of uh, take your words of concern to heart. And that uh, yeah. And I appreciate that, David. And thank you for reminding uh, yeah. fellowship of those words. Okay, brother. All right. Boker Tobin. Well, Boker Or, thank you. Okay. Shabbat shalom. Shabbat shalom. Hi, Tina. Hi, Dr. P. How are you? I'm okay. What's going on? Well, we were talking about the 144,000 earlier. Yeah. Um, remember we had a teaching about that? before and it was decided that the 144,000 were actually virgins and they were all women because there are no men virgins does that still apply or I'm well yeah except that it depends on what you mean by virgin right now of course under this theory that's being espoused under the 144,000 in the DNA what they're talking about is there has been no um, pointed injection, no needle injection, right? But I mean, when you read that passage, I think it's in Revelation 17, isn't it? Isn't it in Revelation 17? I don't know. I'm, I'm working on something. I don't have my cipher next uh, to me, but I remember the teaching and there was a somewhere in there you had pointed out that they were all virgins. Yeah, it is. So they had to be me, all let women. See, let me see if I can find that in just a minute. Um, I thought it was from Revelation 17, but But you remember that teaching, right? You did it with uh, Jessica Ariana. Yes, I do. Yes, I do remember it. Yeah. And uh, I mean, when you look at the language that is set forth in here, I just need to find it. I'm sorry. I'm just no, no problem. I should have had it prepared before I asked you, but. Um, Let me see if I can find it on my phone. Well, it's late. Oh, maybe sure. okay. Maybe it's fourteen. Let me see this minute. Yeah, here it is. Sure it's we fourteen. Okay. So here in Revelation fourteen, and I looked, and lo, a lamb stood on Mount Zion, and with him a hundred and forty-four thousand, having his father's name written in their foreheads. Okay, so that's pretty clear. They know the father's name. And I heard a voice from heaven as the voice of many waters, the voice of great thunder. And I heard the voice of guitarists playing with their guitar. And they sung as if it were a new song before the throne. Verse four. These are they which were not defiled with women. For they are virgins. Well, now again, when you read that passage, you know that when you're talking about a virgin, you can only be talking about a woman in terms of scripture. And in fact, the word used for virgin there is the same word that's used to describe 
Miriam, right? Same word, right? So let's go take a look on Esword and see what we have in 14, verse 4, right? So here we see, right? Okay, okay, this, Yehutos, Amy, Oida, Meta, Amid, right? Meta, Amid, Gune, a woman. Now you see Gune, in this case, you're seeing Gune Kon, Gune Kon. It's a, it's a, a declension of the word Gune. Gune is the word that you see in Greek, but this is also the word that you find in Hebrew is Isha, Isha. And so here you see in the Strong's definition, Gune, probably from the base of 1096, a woman, right? So Gune means woman, specifically a wife. That is to say, Strong's is going to tell us, well, we're going to, we're going to construe that as wife. But even though it's in your face pronunciation is Gune, a woman, right? Among women, right? Okay, and so this says what? Which among women, and so here you say, so, and even though this says, these which were not defiled with women, right? First person singular, am, and here we have uh, this. This is, this is, those who are among women, who are among women, or among a woman, right? Not defiled. So even though the scriptural interpretation in English has been read to say, these are they which were not defiled with women, another way of looking at this very same passage is, this is among women who are undefiled. This among women who are undefiled, right? And again, we're just looking at this, just kind of right. And this is the word parthenos that is used to describe Miriam, parthenos, virgin. So what does this word virgin mean in the Greek? A maiden. It doesn't mean a male. It means a maiden by implication, an unmarried daughter. You see it, right? Now, we can take a look here. Well, let's plug this down here in the Greek. Now, down here, we can also use, this is the Strong's version. Strong's tells us about this Parthenos. But we can go to Thayer's lexicon, too. And Thayer's lexicon tells us, what? Parthenos, a marriageable maiden, a woman who has never had sexual intercourse with a man, one's marriageable daughter. Then they go to say, a man who has abstained from all uncleanness and whoredom attendant on idolatry and so has kept his chastity, right? So now Thayer's is going to tell us, well, the use that we get also includes male. But Strong's doesn't tell us that. Strong says it is a woman and a woman only. So they are which were not defiled with women, they were not, they that were not defiled among women. Among all the women of the world, these are the ones that were not defiled, the virgins. 
These are they which follow the Lamb wheresoever he goes. They were redeemed from among men, being the first fruits unto Elohim and the Lamb. Right? Right. But, so that's what that passage reads in Revelation 14, as compared to the DNA analysis that we see back in Revelation 4. Okay? All right. So I'll leave it at that. Okay. All right. Thanks, Tina. Thank you. Okay. Uh, Chris, how are you, brother? Yeah, good. Thanks. Thanks, Doc. Yeah. Um, yeah, I've been mean, seeing that you asked. Let me... Let me, let me do a bit of the Torah. Um, <laughs> well, you know, Chris, you're always good. You're always good at bringing in the the, um, the additional aspects of the Torah portion, and it, I think it does help our fellowship to have somebody, you know, give a little bit of an instruction on the Torah portion besides just me blabbing all the time, right? <laughs> uh, well, listen, let me blab a bit, but you see if it can make sense. But. Um, Isaiah 55, verse 3, incline your ear and come unto me here, and your soul shall live. And I will cut an everlasting covenant with you, even the sure mercies of David. So, um, last week, I touched on uh, the Levitical priesthood being given over to the Melchizedek priesthood of Yahusha. And this ties into what David said, because he was talking about Shalom. Am I right, David? You were talking about the peace, right? Yes. I also, I also say Shalom means wholeness, completeness. Right. And Melchizedek, Melchizedek was king of Salem. So he was the king of peace. And he, we know that Yahusha steps into that office of being our high priest in the order of Melchizedek. So where does our peace come from? It comes from the belief in the son of Yahweh, which is the question which is asked in Proverbs 30 verse 4. What is his name and what is his son's name, if you can tell? Very important. Which brings us then once again around to the Besorah of uh, John which we read today, or you, uh, of Yehukanen, uh, 15, I believe it was. Let me just get there. Uh, John 15. So, no, it wasn't, sorry, it was John 17. So, and, 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 and this comes back as well to what Catherine said, but the point is in 12, it says, while I was with them in the world, I guarded them in your name. Those that if you gave me, I have kept. And none of them is lost, but the son of perdition that the scripture might be fulfilled. Okay. So the name is the guarding 
But what is important here? Is it that we die a horrible death? Is it that we die at all? Is it that those that in the tribulation have their heads chopped off? Well, if that's the case, then what does Revelation 20 say? Verse 4 says, I saw the thrones and him that sat upon them, and judgment was given unto them. And I saw the souls of them that were beheaded for the witness of Yahusha and for the word of Yahweh, and which had not worshipped the beast, neither his image, and neither had received the mark upon their foreheads, nor in their hands. And they lived and reigned with Mashiach a thousand years. So is it the death that really matters? And is it the body that really matters? And is it the, and is it the fear that we have of this death? Or do we believe in Yahushua who loves us? And in that love, there is no fear. So does he give us the strength to endure whatever the world is going to get give to us? Does he give us the strength, like in Maccabees, the family that was slaughtered from the, from the, from the father right through to the baby son? Does he give us the strength to die in dignity, keeping the word of the testimony of the Melchizedek on our lips? Whose strength is that? That's not our own strength. And that's, I think, what you were saying exactly, David. It's the strength that Yah gives us to keep us in his Torah, in his commandments, in the love of Yah. Because what does it say in 26? It says, I have declared unto them your name, and I will declare it, that the love wherewith you have loved me may be in them and I in them. Well, what love was that? That was the love that Yahusha died for us. A horrible death, a painful death, and even a very extreme, extremely uh, humiliating death. And if we understand it in Yah's terms, which we can't, but if we try and understand it in Yah's terms, well, then we can bring in that he did not reckon himself to be Yah, but made himself of no reputation so that his own creation can kill him in a horrible way. Well, what does that say to us? Where do we get our strength from? Our strength is not from ourselves. Our strength lies in the belief that we have within our Savior. And he will guide us and he will give us whatever we need, whenever we need, to endure whatever the body has to endure. Because what does he what does he want from us? And that was back in Isaiah 55. He wants our soul to be preserved. So if we have the love by his name, then we have the endurance to love each other. To stand in the gap for one another. To even die for one another. And to preserve somebody who might be fearful. But I believe it's going to encourage the one who remains 
to say, wow, you know what? That man died for me because he loves me so much, similar to what Yahusha does. And therefore, I will die as well, the same kind of way. Just a thought. I don't, I don't believe that, that Yahusha wants anybody to die in a horrible way. That's not what I'm saying. But I'm saying that there are those that are beheaded for the word of their testimony. And what is our word of our testimony? It has to be aligned to the word of Yah. So, sorry, David, you, you muted there. Uh, I, I did want to say that to be the head of the assembly, uh, our assembly only has one head. Mm-hmm. It's Yahushua, Yahushua, Hamashiach. And so yes. if, you're, if you're not the head, you've been beheaded. <laughs> I love that. I love that. I love that. So, you know, if we go back then to what we touched on last year, and I, I you know, I, I made a little show of that because I, I found it quite profound that Yogan the Mercer dies, he's beheaded. And what happens after that? Well, first of all, Yahusha is immersed by him. And what happens, what happens there? Well, the hand of Yah comes down on him like a dove and he anoints him. And he says, this is my son in whom I'm well pleased, my Yahid in whom I'm well pleased. But what is that? That's the anointing of the priesthood and of the prophet and of the continuous kingdom. Because he, the kingdom of Yah is not of this world. That's why the Levitical priesthood went a little bit wrong, because they wanted a king. They wanted a king in the place uh, uh, like the other nations did have a king. But that wasn't Yah's intention. Yah's intention was for us all to be priests. And that was, that was what was in last week's Torah portion, that the whole nation will be a nation of priests. But they rejected that by not wanting to be a priest and going up to the mountain. They sent Moses instead, like Dr. P was saying just now. The point is that he wants everybody to be a priest. And what are we? We are kings and priests right now. But we're under the order of Melchizedek and not of the Levitical priesthood. So, sort of in conclusion, that uh, in the end of in the end of uh, Luke 5, he talks about, well, why would you sew a piece of new garment onto an, old, onto an old garment to cover the hole? Or why would you put new wine into old wineskins? Because it's going to destroy both of them. And I think that's what you were also saying. You cannot carry on with a belief that is old. You cannot, the, the whole thing about Yahusha is a new thing. It's a new thing altogether. It's still the Torah. The Torah doesn't change because that was there before the world began. And we're always trying to reverse Yah to the understanding when man was created on the sixth day. But this thing happens way before. And if we read Enoch, we read the Beaker uh, 69, we, we read, the bigger oath. That oath stood before the world was even uh, 
begun, right? It was before the 10 days, the seven days of creation. So where does the truth, the truth lie? The truth lies in Yah being the author and the finisher of everything. And in him, we have the strength to endure. In him, we have the strength to take on whatever comes our way because he's our strength. And he's the one that's going to give us the power to endure. And he cares about your soul and not your body. Well, I say that, you know, I don't say that like, he doesn't care at all about you. Of course he does. Of course he does. That's why we see healings of miracles. And that's why we saw always that he healed people because he had compassion. But he does not care for the body as much as what he cares for the soul because the soul is, will be with him forever. And that's, that's the end goal. The end goal is for all of us to be together when he fetches us. Chris. Yes, brother. Chris, remember, Shaul, Paul, said, I, I haven't won the race, but I'm racing the race. Uh, and he's talking about the redemption of the body. And uh, so the blessed hope is spoken of is that finishing of it. Is the quickening of this of this body? Amen. Don't throw it. Don't ever throw it out in the bushes because it's 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 involved. Preserve us holy, blameless, spirit, being, and body. <laughs> Hallelujah. Amen. No, amen. Amen. And that's you know, David. Hallelujah. Thank you that we can talk about it. You know, it's it's not that I mean that the body is worth nothing. The body is, is worth, it's the vessel, it's the vessel that we continue to live out, Yahusha, hopefully. But we are, we are flesh, and the flesh wars against the body. So what is important to Yah, right? When, when he returns, we get a new body. It's not like this one. It is glorified. It is pure. It is without sin. So those that are translated uh, are translated are translated into his presence. Those that are translated are uh, 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 they, they, they are changed right there. They don't pass it through the ground. It, it, it's a real it's a real cool deal because boom, you know, you're changed and your and, and your body's esteemed. It's, it's definitely esteemed. It's everlasting to everlasting. Praise you. It's complete. Now the virgins, the virgins aren't finished. The marriage isn't finished. They're waiting on the bridegroom. Mm -hmm. yeah. And the virgins are, are, are keeping themselves because they know the bridegroom's coming. Hallelujah. And that's, you know, he said, I'm going away, prepare a place for you. And, and, and he says, I'm going to return. And when he returns, he comes for a remnant that gets that completeness at that wedding, praise you. It's the salvation of the body. Otherwise, you wouldn't want to drag it to the water and get it immersed. Yes. Oh, excuse me. I didn't mean to interrupt. You got to be excited. No, I, 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 you know, I love it. Thank you very much. Thank you. Thank you very much. The point is, what does he also say? He says, 
I pray that you store up your treasures in heaven. Right? So what are those treasures? Because he says in Revelation, I counsel you to buy ISOL from me, and I counsel you to buy white garments. Those are the works of the Ruach. Those aren't the works of your flesh. Those go completely against the lusts of your flesh. Those are the ones where you kill yourself, you die to yourself, and you do what Yah wants us to do. And those store up the treasures that are in heaven because it goes against what, you know, the natural man or the 666 man will never want to do those things and do them. They, will, they won't. Because it's all about me and I want to store things for myself. And I want to have pleasures. I don't want to give up my pleasures so that somebody else can be blessed. So it goes against the mentality of man. Chris, can I ask you a question? Sure, Mary. I mean, I, I don't know where Dr. P is, but yes, please. I just, with what you're talking about. I was going to ask you about how the Lord says he puts his angels charge over us and that we're going to judge the angels. So I'm wondering if not, they are in essence, the priesthood over us working through the, our Ruach and through him. And that he chooses the priesthood, you know, for the, for when the temple is, when he comes back and the temple is created. Well, Mary, if I may, I mean, I, I don't know if I'm going to give you a 100% correct answer, but I would say that the angels are there to give their messengers, right? An angel is a messenger, right? And, in, and, and, and for example, he says to Zechariah, he says to him, uh, listen, this is going to happen. Gabriel or Gabriel says to him, this is going to happen. And he says, well, how can this happen? You know, my wife is old and I'm old, stricken in years. This is almost impossible. But what does he say? He says, listen, because of your unbelief, you will be done until the child is born. So they're not necessarily priests. No, they are messengers of Yah. Because it says in that same chapter, I think it's chapter two of Luke. It says that I am Gabriel who stands in the presence of Yahweh. So he's in the presence of Yahweh, but he's speaking unto uh, Zechariah. But Zechariah does not believe, and he's the high priest of the day. So the point is, Yahukanan himself, the immerser, has exactly the same problem. Because he sends his Talmudim to ask Yahusha, Yahusha, are you the one that could come, or should we wait for another? Are you the one, or is it another that we're waiting for? And Yahusha says, well, okay, stick around. Let's see what happens. And he heals people, and, he, and the deaf can hear, and the blind can see, and he says, go back and tell him that this is what's happening. So, so Yahukanan had exactly the same thing of unbelief. So I I, I believe that the angels, the good angels, are those that bring a message. 
a message from Yah, from his, from his throne. But the bad angels, the one, the fallen ones, the Nephilim, those are the ones we're going to judge because they have hurt us and they're hurting us. And their sin will not be forgiven them. I don't know if that answers your question, Mary. I, uh, and, I, and I think Dr. P will probably. I have to add. touch on it, but I thank you for taking the time. I've just been challenged by those thoughts. Thank you. Sorry to bother you. No, not at all. <laughs> so, no, I, think that's, I think that's a good response, Chris. I mean, I think the question is, when you, when you look at this idea of, you know, and I would just say this to you, Mary, is that, you know, when we have these ideas, a lot of the ideas that we bring to the table may or may not have uh, scriptural soundness to them. And what I mean by that is what is what Chris is talking about, because when we talk about an angel, this idea of Malak, you know, once again, we start we start digging into scripture and we start looking at, OK, well, what is an angel? Right. We, we can talk about seraphim. We can talk about cherubim. We can talk about this, that, at the end. We can talk about Raphaim. Uh, you know, there there are uh, not Raphaim. Um, well, I have to, I've got to go back and look at it again, but it's in, in the book of Ezekiel. The thing is, when you talk about the, the messengers, the Malak, and this is something we see also in Malakit Sadiq. Malakit Sadiq, well, if you put the pronunciation Malakit Sadiq, all of a sudden it becomes the righteous king. But if it's Malakit Sadiq, it's the righteous messenger or the righteous angel even. So the book Malachi is about a messenger. It's about a messenger bringing a message. And so when you're talking about we're, we've been charged to govern the angels, you know, angels watching over us are not angels governing us, but angels, you know, watch, you know, the term watcher, which everybody wants to say, oh, well, that's an Enochian term. That comes out of the book of Enoch, which is not canonized. Well, actually, though, the term watcher is found in the book of Daniel, the book of Daniel, the discussion about the watchers in Daniel. And, of course, Daniel has some mysticism in it where he's talking with an angel, where Daniel is translated and he's seen talking with an angel. And what, and what, is, what is Michael telling him? I was the one that withstood the prince of Persia. What are you talking about there? What kind of discussion is this? Is this something that we understand in the natural? Oh, gee, I went to Miami and I met some guy and he talked to me. No, this isn't what's going on at all. You're talking about a discussion that's taking place between man and a messenger, a heavenly messenger. And, uh, you know, and this is why uh, this is why I would just say this to you, Mary, that when it, when it comes to thinking about these kinds of things, when Paul says we will come to judge the, the angels, and Mashiach says, it is written, we are the sons of Elohim. And he points to the Psalms for that statement. Why, where do you now chastise me for saying I am the Ben Elohim, for saying I am the son of Elohim? You made yourself out to be the son of Elohim. Well, David said, we're all sons of Elohim. Why are you chastising me? Why don't you go dig up the tomb of David and beat up his corpse? You know, and it's the same thing when, 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 we, when we talk about, the, uh, you know, the angels watching over us. They are watching over us for our protection. They're not governing us. 
and angelus and telling you what to do. Do they correct? Do the angels correct us? Yeah. No, no. If you're feeling if you're feeling correction in your life, that's coming from the ruach. That's not coming from an angel. That's coming from the ruach, and the ruach does. I mean, you know, what did Mashiach say? Even today's Torah portion. I must go that the counselor might come. And it, this is the council of the Ruach HaKodesh that comes. But the, the council of the Ruach HaKodesh comes only after Mashiach has departed. And this, so if you're feeling the spirit of correction, that correction is not coming from an angel. That is coming from the Ruach HaKodesh. Now, I shouldn't say that in every case, because if you recall, there was a certain angel standing in front of a donkey. And he wasn't there to correct. He was there to kill. He was going to kill Balak. And Balak was going to kill his donkey. So we, and, you know, that's when we get the talking, the talking donkey, right? Which later became Francis the talking mule, which ultimately resulted in Mr. Ed. <laughs> I'm just kidding. I'm just kidding. Thank you, thank you Dr. P. <laughs> Okay, thanks, Mary. Thank you. Okay, all right, but that was it. That, uh, but but thank you, Chris, and thank you, for, and thank you, David, for your guys' discussion today. I mean, it's been just it's just been very very helpful, and I think it's been revelatory. It helps us to understand. It helps us to see what's going on. Okay, Chris, are you are you wrapped up there, brother? Okay, thanks much. Okay, let's go to uh, Sabina. Sabina, how are you? Hi, Sabina. Try, try your space bar. That'll help you unmute. unmute. Are you there, sister? Okay, Hi, we'll yeah, come back. Can you hear me? There, yeah, there you are. Okay, you can hear me? Yeah, yeah you're a little quiet, but now we can hear you. Go ahead. Oh, okay. I'll turn up my volume. Um, it was a question about the sacrificial system. Um, I've had a couple of different teachings on it and i just want to know if there is going to be a sacrificial system in the millennium like the thousand years yeah i know that's a big question it's a big question okay thanks and, that's what i wanted and, to know yeah and yeah okay if you can i'm going to mute you again too because i'm getting an echo okay there you go thank you um you know this is the teaching that rico cortez teaches you know that there's going to be a third temple and there's going to be a third sacrificial system and, uh, you know, I disagree with that. I think that Ezekiel's third temple has already been built. Uh, and, you know, when you look at the temple, like, for instance, historically, if you look, you see there was the Temple of Solomon. And then they built a downgraded version of that, the second temple, and which was completed in 417 BC, according to three Ezra's, three Ezra eight. It was completed in 417 BC. And that temple was uh, a downgraded version of Solomon's temple. It was not the august temple that you see built there in Jerusalem saying, oh, boy, it's going to be this massive, beautiful structure doing this and the other thing. It wasn't like that at all. It was a simple hall. And in fact, one of the things you find when you study history and you actually go to archaeological sites, people lived in really small dwellings, really small. I mean, like we went to Corinth, for, for instance, and the guide we were with 
was a he was a brilliant guide. Fortunately, he was a believer and he was a brilliant guide. And he took us, he wasn't licensed, so he had to be kind of quiet about what he was doing. But as we walked through Corinth, he said, we believe this foundation here was the foundation of the synagogue in Corinth. And the reason why is because archaeologists found some sign that they had dug up, I don't know, 15, 20 years before that was in Hebrew. And it was associated with this building. Well, this building in Corinth was the only, it was actually built in an oval. It had a, it had a footprint of an oval. It was the only oval building in all of Corinth. All the other buildings were square. And which that oval building was consistent with the synagogue in Kafernachum or Capernaum, which is also round, right? That the Catholic Church tells you was Peter's house. Well, it wasn't Peter's house at all. That was the original synagogue of Capernaum. And this was the synagogue in in Corinth, but you're talking the synagogue was, I'm going to give you my estimates. It was probably 20 to 24 feet long by maybe 16 feet wide in an oval. Remember, Paul stayed at Rufus's house. Now, I don't know what kind of house you guys were imagining. You were probably imagining a five bedroom house, four bath with a circular driveway. But Rufus's house was two 10 by 10 rooms right next to the synagogue. That was his house, two 10 by 10 rooms. When you look at the original ruin of Capernaum, all of those homes that were in that town were 10 by 10 rooms. That was the home. That was the entirety of the home, a 10 by 10 room. So what you see in the ancient world is that things were much, much smaller. I remember going to a church that was built in the fifth century in Belize, Georgia. And that thing was eight by eight. That was the entirety of the church, eight by eight. And so the chances are that the second temple was a very small building and was essentially probably just a little square. And they completed it in 417 BC. Well, Herod decided that was totally insufficient. Now, in order to, to fully get this picture, the cubit in Ezekiel is different than Noah's cubit. So Noah's cubit was here from the elbow to the wrist, right? Noah's cubit, cubit, elbow to the wrist, Noah's cubit. And so Isaac Newton said this is 23.6 inches. But Ezekiel's cubit is the hand, cubit, cubit, not counting the fingers. It's very important because if you take Noah's cubit and you apply it to Ezekiel's temple, the temple square is 20-something miles, right? It's huge. But it's not that huge if you use Ezekiel's cubit, which is a hand width, which, by the way, is how it's described in Ezekiel as a hand width. So you've got two different cubits. You have Noah's cubit and you have Ezekiel's cubit. Now, Ezekiel's cubit, that temple, I believe, was built. I believe that temple was built. Now, there are some people who believe that the Vatican is Ezekiel's temple. I'm not so sure that I would go that way, but I do think the temple that Herod had reconstructed, because the, the second temple at the time of Mashiach was not the temple that the Maccabees found, which was basically a deserted storeroom when they found it. It was a deserted storeroom. 
but rather was completely rebuilt and completely redesigned by Herod. If you go to Israel and you see the works of Herod, you can see what he did. He built the whole city of Caesarea. And you go up to Caesarea, and what do you see? He built a, a hippodrome. You remember this? Remember uh, Ben Hur, and they had the big chariot race in Ben Hur. Well, that chariot racing facility is still right there in Caesarea. That hippodrome is still right there, and the amphitheater that he built is still a functioning amphitheater. They have concerts there right now in Caesarea. The amphitheater that Herod built, and Herod had his summer palace on the water there. At Caesarea, that's where he drowned one of his sons. He drowned his son in a swimming pool right there at his palace. And he built a port because Israel had no port. You know, Israel's beach is straight and flat for the length of the country, with the exception of Akko. And so he built a port. He built it. He put out jetties and he built a place for ships to land. This same guy also built the Temple Mount. He is the one that built the, the put up the huge stones that constitute what we come to constitute what we call the Temple Mount today, but was actually the Fortress Antonia. When you go to the Kotel or the Wailing Wall, they call it, you come up to a wall and you see all these bricks ahead of you, right? These big tall bricks in front of you. But if you walk into the synagogue that's to the left and you look down, you'll see there are as many bricks going down as there are going up. In other words, there's maybe 24 bricks, huge stones in front of you, but there's 24 going down. That's how much dust settled in Jerusalem after Herod built that retaining wall. And you can see evidence of Herod's retaining wall in the walls of Jerusalem. And you can also see it in Hebron. Now, we went down to Hebron under armed guard in a, in a fortified bus. And we went down to Hebron and we went to what's called the Marat Machpelah, which is the tomb of Abraham and, you know, the cave that he bought, right? Marat Machpelah. And we went into the Marat Machpelah. Well, the bottom half of that synagogue, which is also a mosque, by the way, is, was built by Herod. You can tell by the size of the stones, these gigantic limestone stones that Herod had carved. And Herod is the one who built Masada. So when you go up to that, you know, Masada is the fortress on top of the mountain. You go up there, and this is where Herod has had his winter house. Beautiful place for a winter house, right? Because in January, it's still 90 degrees, right? <laughs> Down there at the Dead Sea, you're 2,600 feet below sea level. And up at his house, he's on top of Mount looking over the whole region. And he had a swimming pool there too, and Roman baths built in. So Herod was, one of the things you can say about Herod is that he was a great contractor. He knew how to build. And so what he did was he rebuilt the second temple. And I believe he rebuilt the second temple on the pattern that Ezekiel had given in 45, 46, 47. As a consequence, Ezekiel's temple was built and the sacrifice system that's discussed in Ezekiel, which is different than the sacrifice of Moshe. This is why the Jews wanted to kick Ezekiel out of the Tanakh. And this is why the Jews put Ezekiel out of order. Yekezkel literally means out of order. If you want a copy of Ezekiel in order, we have a free download available at sefer.net. You can get a copy of Ezekiel in order on, uh, on, on, on our website. But Ezekiel was placed out of order 
because the Jews reasoned that the sacrificial system that was being given by Ezekiel directly contradicted Moshe. And in fact, Ezekiel says, Moshe gave you bad law. He says it outright. So they didn't want to include Ezekiel in the Tanakh. <clears throat> they did anyway, but only after they put it out of order. So I believe Ezekiel's temple was built. And when you're talking about the sacrifice system being reinitiated, people point to Ezekiel for the fact that Ezekiel's temple will be the temple that will be built, the so-called third temple, and the sacrificial system will be reignited. The gospel according to the Hebrews, which is very interesting, these are the notes of Eusebius. Some guy wrote me and he was just belaboring me. He was like, you know, you're such an idiot, Dr. P, because there was no Eusebius and there was no Lucifer and, you know, and on and on and on and on. There was nobody at that time and Eusebius wasn't responsible for the Codex Vaticanus. It was Jerome. It was Jerome who wrote the Codex Vaticanus. And so I wanted to write him back and say, well, what was Jerome's Latin name? Oh, that's right. It was Eusebius Hieronymus. Okay, enough said. But the thing is with Eusebius, he had in his notebook, he had what's called the gospel according to the Hebrews. And these were notes that he did not include in the gospel of Matthew when he was transcribing it, but he had him in these notes. And there's 22 of these fragments. And these fragments have different stuff written about uh, some of the some of the phrases in the gospel, right? In the gospel. And uh, you know, he talks about one of the phrases that is in that the gospel according to the Hebrews is that if you sacrifice an animal again after the after the sacrifice of Mashiach, you bring the wrath of Yah. Because you are essentially saying that the sacrifice of Mashiach is insufficient for the propitiation for my sin. I need to sacrifice anew for the propitiation of my sin. Don't be surprised if you do that. Don't be surprised when you are in heaven that when it comes time for you to justify yourself before the white throne and Mashiach says to you, don't look at me. Look to that lamb over there that you slaughtered. See if he can justify your sins. So this is why I do not believe that there is going to be a new sacrificial system. And, I, and, the, and as for the rebuilding of the third temple, it's very clear. The gospel is very clear about it. Mashiach says to the Jews, I tell you the truth. Tear down that temple and I will rebuild it in three days. You will rebuild it. It took us 46 years to build that temple. And you're going to rebuild it in three days? Tell us how you're going to do that. Well, he did by rising in the resurrection on the third day, and the temple was rebuilt. And it was rebuilt. How, did, how does Peter put it? With stones made without hands. Stones made without hands. We are the temple stones. We are the temple. We are the third temple. The sacrifice. 22, 1.15 p.m. Dr. P on Yah. Uh, Say that again, Yaakov. Okay, well, I'll, I'll, I'll have to come to Yaakov again here. So you see what I'm saying, Sabina? We are the temple. The sacrifice is complete in the Shiak. We are the third temple. There is no third temple to be built. 
the third temple was already built, and those prophecies concerning that rebuilding of the temple came to pass at the time of Mashiach. It was that, even though they say that was the second temple that was destroyed, that was actually probably the third temple that was destroyed, uh, that was destroyed by the Romans on Tisha B'Av this day in 70 AD. Okay. Any other questions on that, Sabina? I guess that means no. Okay. Let's go to Joy. Joy, how are you? I am doing well. How are you? Very well. I just wanted to let you know that, you know, I listen to you on Tuesdays, Thursdays, Fridays, and there's so many times I've wanted to ask you questions or say comments, but, you know, I can't even say Shalom, Dr. P, without being censored. And I think I'm going to tell Facebook when my sister and I were talking that I'm going to rebuke Facebook and tell them that I am going to censor them and I can't wait to get off of them. So I was glad that you are getting on different platforms and we do need to stand up. I really like Scott's prayer about, you know, we're okay, whether we're out there fighting giants, as he put it, or whatever, whether we live doing God, Yah's will or we die, it's all a win-win. What is our path? We're here for one reason. Who do we choose, Yah or Satan? And we, our works, when David was talking about our works, we do good works because of Yahushua, because of Yah. We want, that's how we want, you know, with our minds and our hands. That's what we want to be doing is the good works that he gave us examples to. But I was also, um, so I wanted you to know, I appreciate all of your programs. I'm glad I'm, you're going on different platforms. We do need to fight. And if I'm known for being Yasharel and that is my crime, I take it on. Hallelujah. Amen. Amen. Thank you, Joy. Yes. Well, I'll tell you, we are, we are trying to develop a new platform. And unfortunately, of course, you know, I have a life to live too. You know, I have, I have to, we have to, you know, we're in maintenance. Right here in alaska so we have to maintain right we have to do our maintenance or we don't get through the winter and uh, right. so you know so my wife and i have been really just really going full bore trying to get things prepared for this coming winter and uh and so we have we have a very full weekend this weekend that we have to do and uh which is going through monday and of course then with all the preparations for all the presentations we do you know, what you guys see in, in terms of a presentation takes hours and hours to prepare, you know, and oh, so, yeah. you know, so I have much, much work to do in terms of those presentations. And um, uh, but we are looking to we're going to be changing up the platforms because the platforms are very much subject to censorship. And of course, you know, I mean, I can tell you that the platforms that are censoring us right now, like Facebook and YouTube, they are guilty of major crimes against humanity because they have been conspiring with the people who have engaged in a bioweapons war to commit genocide against people on the earth. They have been conspiring with them. And this is going to be found out. Okay. So I'll just leave it at that, Joyce. So anyway, thank you for your comments. And, and we're, we're going to do what we can to get this new platform launched as soon as possible. And of course, you know, look, all things are in the hands of Yah. Okay. You know this. And right. 
because the truth is, is that we only have this platform. And this is why I actually prayed for the people of YouTube and the people of Facebook this week, because this is a platform that they have given to us. They may censor us and so on and so forth, but we're using their electronic platform right now for us to talk. And we should not be cursing them when we have this platform so that we can have this meeting. You know, I mean, this is a YouTube, but this is Zoom. And we don't want to curse those people who have provided this platform for us. This is Yah's hand too. And there's going to come a day when we're not going to have any of this. And you know, when I that day comes, that. we don't have any of this, we're not going to see each other again. I don't want that. Yeah. So let us bless Yah and what he has given us for the time being. And let us bless those that have been responsible for making this venue happen and not curse them. And we will do our best bring uh, to obtain a new platform where we're going to be able to speak more freely so that we can share the what's happening in this world. Okay? Okay, can I just say one other thing? In, uh, President John Adams, it was either in 1797 or 1801, he said, I will insist the Hebrews have contributed more to civilized men than any other nation. If I were an atheist and believed in blind eternal fate, I should still believe that fate had ordained uh, the Jews and Gasherel to be the most essential instrument for civilized, civilizing the nations. And he was referring to the Ten Commandments mostly. Yeah, referring to the Ten Commandments. Yeah. And again, yeah. you know, it is it is the foundation of truth. And without that foundation, then we have nothing. We have an agreement between men. And the agreement between men lasts until I change my mind. You know, you say, oh, government grants me the right of life, liberty, and property until they change their mind. So if they can change their mind and take it from you, it's not a right at all. It's just a temporary privilege. That's all it is. A right to be a right must be supernaturally bestowed. Must be supernaturally bestowed. And that is what comes from the Ten Commandments. There is supernatural transference of human rights. You have a right to life because Yah said, thou shalt not kill. You have a right to property because he said, you shall not steal. These are the things, these are the things that are that are present in the world of the supernatural absolute authority of Yahweh. Okay, so I'll, I'm going to leave it at that, Joy, okay? Okay, thank you. Have blessings. Okay. Yaakov, what, what's going on over there? Um, I was just uh, wanting some light to be shed on a subject, on a, on a subject that I'm studying in, in depth, and I was hoping that you could shed some light on it. And, it, and it's, it's like in Isaiah 12, 2, where it says, Yah is my savior. In Acts, oh, yeah. in Acts 16, it says, Yah, my Savior. And, and we're talking about the Father being our Savior. Uh-huh. And I was wondering well, if you could shed some light so I can study prop study properly, because I'm going to oh, really drill oh, yeah. down. Well, I've written about this actually extensively, and we have taken tremendous... On, on your on your tapes called Yah? Uh, no, this is on Philippians 2.11. Philippians 2.11. I have three blogs written on this subject on the website on Philippians 2.11. Okay, perfect. Because you have, it's a very interesting question. And the question is, well, 
In fact, it goes on to say that every knee shall bow and every tongue shall confess that Yahweh is your savior. And that is said in Isaiah, and it's reiterated by Paul in the book of Romans. But then Paul in the book of, of uh, Philippians says, oh, Yahusha, every knee shall bow and confess that Yahusha is your savior. Well, didn't you just say in Romans, Paul, that Yahweh was that? Didn't you just say that in Romans? So what are you talking about, Paul? Are you just a contradictory uh, guy, or are you a liar, or you got to just make some stuff as you go? Well, no, and this is what it comes down with Philippians 2.11. And believe me, when we published this in Philippians 2.11, there were people that wanted to kill us. We were called blaspheming heretics, dogs, pigs. You know, the sephir should be burned, on and on and on and on and on. People went on and on and on over this issue. And I had received thousands of emails on this issue. That's why you need to read the three blogs. Okay. Because you can, you can go through, well, since we're here and we're giving and we have the Greek opened, let's just do a little sword searcher. And we'll just look and I'll show you what's going on with Philippians 2.11. Okay. So here we are. Here's Philippians. Here's 2. And let's get into verse 11. Now you're going to see in verse 2.11, you can see that I hope. Okay. Yes. Let me get my annotation up here and we'll just take a look. Kind of tiny. So, Kai, you know, right? Yes. So Kai, Pas, so it's Pasa, right? And all, right, or every. Okay. Glasa, tongue, every tongue, shall acknowledge exomologia. Exomologia. Actually, this is exomologemontai. Oti, that, Kyrios. That Kyrios, okay, Kyrios, Jesus, Christos, es, Daxa, glory, Theos, Patros. What's Patros? Father, right? Theos. Well, here's Teos. Now, you see, this says, well, it means deity or divinity or Hebraism, very God. Now, we know that the King James interpreters use the word God for the word Elohim, right? Elohim. However, Kyrios was used for the word Yahweh. If you go back and you look at the Septuagint, you will find that every place you find the yod heh vav -Hey, you find the word Kyrios. So in Philippians 2.11, we translated this as, and every tongue should confess that Yahweh is Yahusha HaMashiach. Kyrios, Yahweh, is Jesus Christos. Yahweh, Kyrios, 
is Jesus Christos to the glory, doxa, of Elohim the Father. Teos, Elohim, Patros, the Father. Of Elohim the Father. And every tongue shall confess that Yahweh is Jesus Christos to the glory of Elohim the Father. Now people say, well, that's a that is a, a, a strict construction of the word Kyrios, because Kyrios comes in three declensions, right? Kyrios, Kyrie, and Kyrion. And we distinguish those three declensions as Kyrios Yahweh, Kyrie Adonai, Kyrion Sir. These are the three declensions we use over this passage. But when we're talking about this particular passage, we believe that our construction is, is accurate to the Greek. There is no Adonai in that passage. It's not Kyrion, it's Kyrios. There is no Adonai. And so how do you say, when Paul says in the passage before that, at the name of Yahusha, every knee should bow of things in heaven, things in earth, and things under the earth. When in Romans, he tells us, every knee should bow to the, to the name of Yahweh. There is only one possible reconciliation to those facts. There is only one possible reconciliation to those facts. That Yahuwah is Yahusha, to the glory of Elohim the Father. Well, now, does this mean, does this mean that Yahusha is Yahuwah? No, it means Yahuwah is Yahusha. <laughs> yeah. Okay. What now, about... What about if you take like Abraham and his relationship with the Most High was accorded to him by grace? And That's there correct. was no law. There was no law. And there was no there was no Messiah at that time as well. How do we how do I see the like like the Lord that God is one? You know, Deuteronomy six verses four through seven. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Well, when you talk about grace, you know, grace is misunderstood because of the way it's taught in the Christian church. Mm. Uh, but grace, this word hen, hen in the Hebrew, hen, means the graciousness of Yah towards his creation, right? He could be a harsh Yah who says, I created you, you're on your own, hope you make it, right? It's like that guy who told his wife, his wife says, you know, after 30 years of marriage, do you still love me? And he says, I told you when we got married, I love you. If that ever changes, I'll let you know. Mm -hmm. I mean, that's not relationship, right? That's not mm -hmm. relationship. And but Yah is not like that because grace is Yah knocking at your door. I'm here. Do you want to know me? Do you want to speak with me? Do you, do you want to be in right relationship with me? Right? Uh, oh, no, I don't want to do that. This is what grace is. Grace is Yah's. Okay, that's enough, Mishka. Sorry, my dog's going nuts. Hold on just a minute.
Grace is Yah's impetus to reach his people. Yah's impetus to reach his people. It is not a license to sin. There was a Torah at the time of Abraham. This is what scripture records, that the Torah was given to Abraham. The Torah was given to Noah. The Torah was given to Adam. But when you're talking about the Torah, don't misunderstand that there's no law until Moshe. There's laws right in Genesis 1. You know, I put the greater light and the lesser light and the stars also, that they should be used for signs, for seasons, for days, and for years. That's a law. Go forth and multiply. That's a law. You shall have dominion over the, the, over the animals and the fish and the birds. That's a law. You shall leave your mother and father and cleave unto your spouse. That's a law. That's a Torah command. This is called the Paradise Torah. And the Paradise Torah was, in fact, in place. And when you read the book of Jubilees, you'll find out that it was Noah that established the Feast of Shavuot. It was Noah who first celebrated Shavuot. And, you know, and then we get Passover into the time of, into the time of Moshe. But there most assuredly were Choch, Shabbat, Mitzvot, and Mishpat prior to Moshe. There were judgments, statutes, commands, and laws prior to Moshe. Okay. But would, would in Abraham's case, would, would he say that uh, Yah is my savior? Yes. Okay. Good and you have to keep in mind, when we talk about Yah being our Savior, Yah is our Savior. But, but Yah manifested himself in the flesh as his, you know, here, let me share this with you. Like, I'm going to share a whiteboard with you in just a second. Okay. We talked about this in Hebrew class, but I want to show you this because this is important to see. So we know we have the name Adam. Oh, wait, I don't like that. Hold on just a second. Let me use this. We have the name Adam, right? Mm -hmm. So here is Adam. Now, with Adam, this is the thing. He creates mankind and called him Adam, which means mankind, right? But in the Hebrew, we know that the Aleph oftentimes acts as a prefix. And as a prefix, this means I will. Now, if that's a prefix, then this must be a primary root. And if it's a primary root, what is it? Well, this is the word dam, which means what in Hebrew? Blood. So the name Adam means I will be blood. So in the name of Adam, we have this concept that Yah intends that his image will be in blood. The life of the flesh is in the blood. Leviticus 17.11. The name Adam, I will be blood. The first Adam failed. The second Adam, Mashiach, succeeded. 
and he succeeded in the blood. Why? Because Yah became blood when the word was made flesh and tabernacled among us. You see? And mm -hmm. so the concept of Yah becoming flesh was prophesied when he first named man. I will become blood. That's when it was first prophesied. I will become blood. So this scheme of salvation is a schema where Yahweh is our savior. And this is true, but it is only true when you recognize the truth of the proposition in Philippians 2.11, that Yahweh is Yahusha. This how, is how, how, why is it delineated where the son in the heavenlies is, is the son of Yah, whereas on earth he was the son of man? Oh, you mean the Ben Adam versus the Ben Elohim? Well, he's actually, is that what it is? yeah, Ben Elohim, the son of Yah, and Ben Adam, the son of man, he's both. So how, how are those two separate things, or that's one thing in two ways of saying it? Yeah, yeah. Uh, let's see. I'm, it's very difficult to try to, to convey how this happened. But you okay. have to remember that Yah occupies an infinite space infinitely. There's no part of creation that Yah does not occupy. Sure. But we have been separated from Yah into a blindness where we cannot see the kingdom. Because death came into the world because of the sin of Kua and Adam. So death came into the world and we're blinded to the reality of the kingdom. They weren't blinded before, but we're blinded after this. We are the seed. Even though the tree lives, each leaf dies, but the tree continues to live. We are of the seed of Adam and we are trapped on this place because, we, because of the sin of Adam. And so we cannot see the entirety of the kingdom. But Yah has always had a plan for our redemption because he loves his creation. He's always had a plan for our redemption. And that plan for our redemption ultimately meant that we would fall away, fall away, fall away, fall away until he himself came here in the form of the flesh to say, don't tell me that I don't know what death is. Don't tell me I don't know what it means to be fully human because I am fully human as well. I went through your experience of being the Ben Adam, fully human, even though I'm the Ben Elohim. But you have to remember, as Mashiach said, you want to kill me because I claim to be the Ben Elohim. But it is written, we are all Ben Elohim. We are all the sons of Elohim. It was David who wrote that in a psalm. Wow. Yeah. So, you know, you so you cannot you cannot throw out this baby with the bathwater. Mm -hmm. So. The, the reality is, is that Yah chose during this course of events that we call reality that resulted from Yah dividing the light from the dark, then reality became into existence. And how did it become into existence? Because he divided, he acted, and that which was infinite suddenly became in a timeline. It suddenly became in a timeline. And when it became in a timeline, he manifested himself into that timeline that we would see him face to face. That's what went on. It's just part of Yah's expression. It's so like, for how, instance, how many times would that have happened that we know of? How many times would Yah, his word, his spirit, 
come and visit the prophets and give them what they've spoken that we look to daily? Well, uh, how many times did he manifest himself in the flesh? Uh, well, however, whatever manner he, he, he delivered. There was uh, one time he word. manifested himself in the flesh. One time huh? he manif- One time the word was manifested in the flesh. One time and one time only. There is only one persona in Yah. Well, I mean, how, I mean, how he gave his word to the prophets. Oh, how, how he, he gave his word to the prophets. How he, how he, be, how he appeared in the form of dissemination of his word to the prophets. Well, some of the prophets saw him face to face. Most of them didn't. They heard his voice. Okay. But some of the prophets did see him, or they saw. You have a blog on that. Um. No, I don't have a blog on that in, in, in particular, but I mean, I'll give you an example. Okay. So, you, you know, for instance, when you, when you talk about Daniel, you know, Daniel was talking yeah. to the messenger. Mm-hmm. When you talk about Abraham, Abraham saw Yah in a dreamlike trance. Remember? He saw him mm-hmm. in a dreamlike mm-hmm. trance. And this is when Yah divided up the, uh, the offering and then walked like a fire between them. Mm-hmm. Moshe was heard it through a burning bush, right? He didn't mm-hmm. see Yah, but he, he heard it through a burning bush. But Yah did appear to the whole of the house of Yasharel face-to-face at Mount Horeb. Face-to-face at Mount Horeb. Wow. Now, that's written in Deuteronomy, and it's also written in Numbers. Okay. And, and the Numbers passage was reaffirmed, by the way, in the Dead Sea Scrolls. It uses the passage face-to-face. Mm. Right? And so, so, I mean, I can give you an example if you want to try to understand this Savior point of view. Let's say, for instance, we had um, a, a corporation, and the corporation is wholly owned by the owner. And the owner is not the Savior, but he is the wage giver. Let's call him that, right? He's not the Savior, but he's the guy that pays everybody's salary. Mm-hmm. And so, okay, but we never meet him, but our salary continues to get paid, and he and he contacts us on our paycheck saying, here's your salary and thanks for your work and blah, blah. We read all this stuff. We hear all this stuff. Every now and then he does a broadcast over the PA system saying, Hey, Hey guys, we need to get this done. We need to get that. And then one day he shows up at work in his suit and he hangs out with the other employees. It's the same kind of thing that happened with Yah. One day he decided he to be among us, that the word would be made flesh and tabernacle among us. And this is what happened. And what in does that mean, tabernacle? Well, tabernacle, you know, to, one way of putting it is to dwell would be another way of doing it, to dwell, to tabernacle, to live in a booth with us, a kind of thing. And that's what it means to tabernacle. He dwelled, you know, so he dwelled among us, mm-hmm. tabernacle among us. Now, this is all the teaching of John 1, right? John mm-hmm. 1 is where this mystery is really set forth. And so this is why you see that, um, that yeah, the word of Yahweh was made manifest. And, and there were many, many times that Abraham heard him, Noah heard him, Adam talked to him face to face, but that was before the fall. After the fall, he did not talk to him face to face. He heard his voice, but he did not talk to him face to face. And uh, so, you know, and then, you know, you, you have this described. You look at um, Isaiah, Yeshayahu 
who is translated into heaven and sees the seraphim and he sees Yah sitting on the throne and talks with him personally, right? Here I am, send me. And so this is what is recorded throughout the scriptures. So, um, you know, when you're talking about this persona, I believe there's only one persona of Yah. There's only one persona that Mashiach says, if you have seen me, you have seen the father. Well, how is that possible? Because there's only one persona. As Peter tells us that the father is an unseeable burning fire. Okay. And, you know, what so verse is that? That's in first Peter, that our Yah is a consuming fire. Okay. And so uh, did, did Yah appear to Moshe in physical form prior to the destruction of Sodom and Gomorrah? Well, that's a question, Carol, I'll tell you. You know, the scripture describes it as three messengers, three messengers. Uh, prior to the destruction of Sodom and Gomorrah, no. It was Avraham and Lot at the time of Sodom and Gomorrah. Um, Moshe would be, you know, hundreds of years later, right? And there is a scripture that says, no man has seen the father. Yeah, that's correct. And so who was it that Isaiah was seeing sitting on the throne? He was seeing the persona of Yah. And again, in order to understand this idea of the persona of Yah, you got to remember that there is this act of creation, right? All scripture begins with the phrase, in the beginning, in the beginning. But there was something that existed before the beginning. There was an infinite that existed before the beginning. And one of the questions that's answered in scripture is, is the infinite thinking? Is he a conscious being? Does he speak? Does he hear? Or is he not thinking? Is it just a random event? There are many people in, in our world that believe it's just a random event. And that belief has brought us to a random conclusion as compared to those of us who believe that he is a thinking, speaking, a sentient being whose consciousness is really above our consciousness and knows all things. But this singularity that is Yah is in this phrase, Shema Yisrael, Yahweh Elohim, Yahweh Echad, it means yes, Yah is one, but it also means that Yah is wholly alone. There is no other. There is no like Satan competing with Yah. There is Yah, there is no other. There is a singularity, a single truth, a single absolute sentient authority which created all of existence. And that sentient authority saw fit to manifest in the flesh that we could see his manifestation face to face. And interestingly enough, he looked just like Cesare Borgia, which is just mind boggling. I'm, I'm, I'm just kidding. What, what about how they saw him at Sinai? Yeah. How did he appear? What was, the, what was that's a good question? Yeah. And I don't know how he appeared. All I know is they were terrified of him when they saw him. Okay. And, um, you know, did he appear looking like Cesare Borgia? I doubt it. You know, but he appeared face to face. I mean, that's how the scripture, Panim, Panim, La Panim is how it reads. What, is, what does it mean, face? Face to face, literally like, face to I'm face. I'm looking at you on the screen right now, face to right. face. But we're not face to face because you, you have your camera off. Yeah. But yeah. Like you're looking at me face to face. That's how they saw him face to face. Face to he spoke to them face to face. And after they after they did that, after he did that, they all said, we don't want to see him again. You know, Moshe, you go up there. 
We don't want to see him again. We don't want to go through that again. We don't want to see him again. But he did speak to them face to face. Now, there's lots of description about somebody showing up with, um, you know, uh, feet like burnished brass. And, you know, uh, on them, there's a lot of descriptions with them wearing a golden belt and all this other stuff. Daniel talks about it. Ezekiel talks about it. Is that the same persona? I don't know. I mean, because we have this loss between the Old Testament and New Testament, because the Old Testament guys had no expectation that he was going to make himself manifest in the flesh. Isaiah did, David did, but everybody that was seen prophetically, Ezekiel didn't, you know, Isaiah didn't. I mean, they were, well, I mean, I, Isaiah did, but he saw it prophetically. But I mean, you know, the expectation was, well, we don't know. Is this guy going to manifest in the flesh? So when you're talking about, and then when Mashiach, after his death, he came back and the disciples did not recognize him. Why? Because he was in a glorified body. He was in a glorified, he was in an eternal glorified body. That's what David was talking about earlier. An eternal glorified body. And uh, so uh, this is why, you know. Uh, Any insight to what that body looked like? Pardon me? Any insight as to what that body looked like, his glorified body? Well, the, the only thing that we know about his glorified body is that, one, he was able to eat with yeah. the disciples. He sat down and had fish and bread, and he still retained the scars. He had the holes in his hands. He had the hole in his side. He had the holes in his feet. So he okay. still retained the scars, right? And yeah. so, but the glorified body was different such that when they, when he was walking with them on the road, they did not recognize him, Right. And so mm -hmm. this is going to be the case with the glorified body of all of us. It will be us, but our glorified body is going to be slightly different than the body we've been kind of stuck with on earth. You know, that's, you know, our facial, our facial appearance is marked by how we've taken care of our teeth. <laughs> you know what I mean? Our physique depends on how often we worked out, you know, I mean, all of these things, right. Add up to who we are here on the earth, but our glorified body isn't subject to any of that. And so it's going to be us, but you, you know, People who know us will know us, but they're not going to quite recognize us as to where we are because our current body is, you know, actively dying on this earth, right? So, mm -hmm. um, so this is why, I mean, I look, I, I realize, Jacob, that when you, when you look at this stuff, it's like, okay, what is scripture trying to tell us? And it's, mm -hmm. you know, there, I mean, there are things that are just, let's just face it. There's things in scripture that are supernatural that are beyond our reckoning. Mm -hmm. that are beyond our linear thinking. And we're seeing a lot of supernatural events now. And, and, you know, and one of the beauties is trusting in the supernatural because you will see things like healing and you will see miracles and you will see, you know, things that happen in the hands of Yah that are just supernatural. It's just like that doesn't make any sense. How could that possibly happen? But it does happen. And, you know, you and when you see miracles, you know, there's just I mean, there's things that happen where you just have to say that was the hand of Yah, period. And that was the hand of Yah, period. And there's no other way to put it. And so uh, and this is why when then when we study scripture, when we get into this kind of heavy scripture study like we are here. When we get into this kind of scripture, you deal with. Supernatural ideas supernatural concepts and because i'm a firm believer that all of the creation narrative in, in its science is found in scripture all of it we haven't discovered it all yet but it's all there 
so for instance, I know you've seen some of these shows, you know, if you go back, I want to think about this for a second. We were talking about this. The book of Hanok records that the watchers came in the seventh generation. They came at the time of Hanok in the seventh generation from Adam. And then the flood comes with Noah, who was the 10th from Adam. Well, that's pretty quick. You trying to tell me that all of the technology that we saw in the antediluvian period was built in three short generations? Well, those generations, first of all, weren't short. They were hundreds of years because everybody lived longer back then. And the second thing is, let's take a look at three generations. Let's call a generation 40 years in the modern world, okay? And let's go back from 2020, three generations to the year 1900. In the year 1900, there was no, there was no auto traffic. There was no radio. There was no telegram. Well, there was a telegram. But there was no radio. There was no television. There was no telephone. There was no electric grid. There were no cell phones. There were no aircraft. There were no jets. None of that. None of that. If you wanted to travel around the world, you got on a ship. If you wanted to travel to your neighbor's town, you got on a horse. In 1900, most people lived on a farm. Look where we've come in three short generations, where we are today. Imagine what it was like in three long generations with fallen watchers who had 100% of the information on all technology coming to the earth. What could they accomplish during that period? That's what they did accomplish in a very short period of time. And they had tainted the DNA of both mankind and beast. And Yah decided to end them with a great deluge. Why, why did he let them come through the flood? Ah, they didn't come through the flood. The scripture says that they were present before the flood and after. Now, while we're talking about Tisha B'Av, which we are today, when you read in Numbers 13, this curse that comes on Yasem to smite you, Numbers 13.33 talks about the sons of Anak, that they were Nephilim and that they came from Nephilim. Anak was a fallen watcher who had come to the earth after the flood. That's in Numbers 13.33. Anak was a fallen watcher who came to the earth after the flood. It didn't just carry through the flood through the DNA of Noah's wife or the wives of you know Ham, Shem, and Japheth, but rather they there were more watchers. Remember, a third of heaven fell. Only 200 came to the earth at the time of the fallen watchers in the time of Hanok. And Genesis 6-4 says they were there before the flood and after. And it's my submission to you that, in fact, the watchers are still falling even today and that we have Nephilim on the earth right now. How, how do, you, do you think their part was in the, uh, 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 the, the pouring out of fire on, uh, what you might call it? Where Sodom and Gomorrah? Sodom and Gomorrah? Yeah. Yeah. Well, I, I, yeah. They, they must have been present then. And does it mean that when this next go around in the, in the, earth or whatever is destroyed with fire that it would go through the heaven the heavens and the heavenlies and wipe them out uh no 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 i don't think so now i don't know that there were nephilim present at sodom and gomorrah 
the record there does not discuss Nephilim, but rather discusses the wickedness of men. And, you know, the book of Jasher is really interested in, in, interesting in describing how wicked they were in Sodom. I mean, they were a completely backwards, evil system. Like today? Yeah, the like today, very much like today. I mean, where you had a totally corrupted judiciary that does things like award $43 million in damages against somebody who speaks the truth about uh, historic events, right? And so, you know, and like there's a, a story recorded in Jasher where, the, you know, one of the guys shows up and he's getting ready to leave. And as he's getting ready to leave, his host hits him in the head with a rock. And he says, what's, all, what's that all about? Well, now you owe me 20 gold coins. I hit you in the head with a rock. That's a blessing. And he says, what? He says, that can't be right. He says, well, I'm taking you to court. And they go to court and the judge says, oh, yeah, that's our tradition here. If somebody hits you in the head with a stone, you bless them and you owe them 20 gold coins. So the mm -hmm. guy picks up a stone and hits the judge in the head with a stone and says, well, get the money from him, right? <laughs> it's, a, it's, a, it's a great story. But it, it is a good one. It shows you the wickedness of Sodom and Gomorrah. I mean, they were. it wasn't just sodomy that was going on there. It was a completely backward social order. And so Yah says, that's it. You know, that whole, and by the way, they were actually, it wasn't, they weren't the only culture that was doing this. They were actually part of the Minoan culture out of, out of uh, um, uh, one of the islands in Southern Greece that was also destroyed at the same time. So Sodom and Gomorrah, we get the record, the biblical record that this story, this place was destroyed by fire and brimstone. But they too, this Minoan culture was also destroyed by fire and brimstone at exactly the same time. And it was the same culture, it was the same people, it was a trade center, it was a colony of this Minoan culture that existed on this trade route between Egypt and the Hittite empire. That's what Sodom and Gomorrah was. There were actually five cities there, five towns. So, five towns. so so could the fire and brimstone be a revelation of the future because the earth is in the same shape? And fire and brimstone is one of the judgments that's coming to the earth. That's one of the judgments that's coming. That's part of the bold judgments. That is coming. That's part of the bold judgments of res revelation. That is part of what's coming. But I can tell you that when you talk about the earth being completely consumed by fire, this is what Peter talks about. He says, initially... Mankind was consumed by the deluge, but Yah said, I'm not going to do it by water. Next time will be by fire. Mm -hmm. And the, renew the renewal of the earth is going to happen by fire. But when is that going to happen? No man knows the day or the hour. And so we shouldn't concern ourselves with, with when the earth is going to be consumed by fire. That's really not our issue. Our issue I, is what, what do I we did, do in our life? I did consume myself with that recently, about five years ago. And I did a five-month fast. I did three months on uh, celery, kale, spinach, uh, green juice. Man, you were suffering if you were putting kale in that mix. And then, then I did 40 days on water. And on day 35, I could feel myself dying. And I oh, said, man. I would like to know when that time is going to be or just take my life now. You know, so, so it looked, you know, he, he gave me this formula, blah, blah, blah. I don't want to bore everybody. But, um, uh, I, I, I think I think that we're supposed to know the season. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I got to tell you, I got to tell you, Yaakov, I think, you know, your questions have been really good today. And um, 
I'm going to have, I got to get going. I got to talk to John. Okay. I'm, I'm at one o'clock and I've got to get going here. So uh, let me go. If I, thank you, Yakov, for those questions. Thank you, Brother yeah. Pete. Yeah, you Appreciate better. Great it. question. You John? Yes, sir. If you're out of time, that's fine. I want to just expand a little bit on, on uh, Devarine today. Um, uh, chapter uh, 12, verse 8, it says, You shall not do all the things that we do this day, every man whatsoever is right in his own eyes, right? And so right. that is one of those things. And when you go to chapter 13, verse 18, it says, When shall you hearken to the voice of Yahweh Eloheka? Uh, guard at all the commands which I command you this day to do which is right in the eyes of Yahweh Eloheka. So he gives, you know, right when we start out this Torah portion, he's given us, you know, which way are you going to choose, right? To the right or to the left? Yeah, right? great point, John. That is a great point, because if every man is going according to his own eyes, and then you say, well, let's have a vote on that. Right. 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 And what are, you, what are we going to decide on? Well, every man is going in accordance with his own will, but let's go with John's will because we like that idea. My idea is kind of close to his. So let's go with his. Let's have a vote on it and see whose idea we're going to use rather right. than going with Yah's ways, which are set in stone. Right. Exactly. Which is actually the Church of Laodicea, right? That means people's opinion. That's yeah, people's opinion. Yeah. And we've seen, and look, look where it's brought us. I mean, that's what I, right. that's what I have to say. If, if everything's working, then why are we in the situation we're in? Right, exactly. And, and uh, you know, I know you're for uh, the next verse, for you are not as yet come into the rest and in inheritance, which Yahweh El-Hakim gives you. That's uh, uh, Hebrews 4, right? And everyone kind of knows that that's, that rest that's coming, that that millennial day. Every day is like a thousand years, and a thousand years is a day. And then uh, one other quick point: as we get into this, uh, uh, you're talking about the uh, um, you shall not hearken to the words of the prophet or the dreamer that dreams dreams. For Yahweh Elohim proves to you to know whether ye love Yahweh Elohim with all your heart, with all your soul. Right. So that's this other idea that we need to be after him uh uh sold out right that's what that's what that question was in the new testament where yahushua says love the lord your god sorry english uh with all your heart soul and mind and love your neighbor as yourself this is this very thing right you're and don't follow after those dreamers galatians one they they if if we or an angel from heaven should preach to you a gospel other than what you have heard let him be eternally condemned. And then he repeats it. And that's this very thing that this passage, I think, is talking about. That they came in, they usurped it, and presented a different gospel than what was in Scripture. And with that, I'll say thank you for the... Uh, thank you, John. I'm sorry we ran out of time, brother. I'm sorry we ran out of time. But, yeah. I, but I'm happy that we had the conversation that we've had here today. Because I think we've had some very important conversation today. Yeah. You know, And you know your contribution is always welcome, John. You know that. Right. No. Yeah. No, I'm fine. Good. Okay. All right. Joni, how are you? Hi, Joni. Hi. There you are. Yeah, there I am almost. Um, yeah, I just have a question and I know it's late in the, in the day. So if you have a reference, but I'm really kind of bothered about the subject of Metatron. Um, oh, Metatron. Yeah. 
Yeah, I fellowship with some groups who support that. And I, you know, I'm like, mm, I don't think I want to go there. Well, so the thing I about can... Metatron is Metatron is, you know, extra scriptural, to put it mildly, right? Metatron is extra scriptural. And the thing about Metatron is, you know, I had a, a Hebrew teacher at a Hebrew university that taught on Metatron. And, um, you know, this concept that, uh, you know, Enoch was translated and became Metatron. Well, show me the scripture that says he became Metatron. You know, in fact, show me the word Metatron in scripture anywhere. Show it to me. You can't, you can't find it, but it's a combination of words. You know, I don't know if you ever saw the movie Tron. Did you ever see the movie Tron? It was no. with um, Bridges, Bridges, somebody, Jeff Bridges, I think, did the part, did the role for Disney, Tron. And, you know, he's trapped in some computer chip somewhere, you know. Anyway, but it's based upon the idea of Metatron, that movie is. And there's Tron 1 and Tron 2, based on that idea of Metatron. But the thing is about Metatron is that why go to this business of creating this, you know, because the idea that Enoch somehow became Metatron is this is all extra scriptural discussion. The scripture says Enoch walked with Yah, was translated and walked with Yah. Genesis records it, and in the book of Enoch, it records it, and the book of Hebrews records it. Hebrews is the one that says he was translated. But there's nothing that says, and all of a sudden, he became Metatron, right? And so, you know, when you talk about that stuff, when we talk about trying to understand the angels, okay, you tell me about the seraphim and their function, and tell me about the cherubim and their function. Let's talk about those courses, the courses of those angels and what they do. We have very cursory discretion, discussions about that because the people who saw them, including Isaiah and Ezekiel and Yohanan, the author of Revelation, they saw, they didn't understand them. They saw very little. So what I would say to you is this, when you talk about the idea of Metatron, people who are occupying them time, their time talking about that are not occupying their time talking about what's in the Gospels. They're not occupying their time talking about what is what is the remnant going to do. They're not uh, talking. You know, they're not occupying their time talking about what is the oil that is going to be in the lamp of the virgins. They're not occupying their time talking about that. And we don't have. We really don't have time to be going down these. You know, you want to talk about going down a rabbit hole. Metatron's a rabbit hole. Mm -hmm. And you know, so what's the point of doing that? You know, and if you, when you get out there, when you start talking, you're going down these rabbit holes, we're missing out on the work that we need to do. There's work we need to do. Okay. And I forget what, I forget what uh, Astor told me Metatron meant. It's, um, you know, they had uh, some, they had some kind of, I don't know, they had, I, I, you know, I'm not familiar with the whole doctrine of Metatron. I know that most of it came out of three Enoch and three Enoch, if you want to study a writing in schizophrenia, that's the book to read, right? You know, if, if you want to hear two schizos going, going off, <laughs> if you want to hear two schizos going off, read that book, right? Okay. And, uh, you know, so, so the thing is, is that the, uh, uh, you know, so the whole discussion about it is, I think, you know, again, you have people, and this is the problem. Paul says, you know, if you don't work, you don't eat. But there were some rabbis that didn't have to work. And because they didn't have to work, they sat around all day. I think their wives did all the work. So they sat around all day talking about how many angels you can get on the head of a pen, right? And if you talk about that long enough, you're going to find yourself painting yourself way back into a deep corner in a big gymnasium, right? 
where you alone hold that view, right? And this is where they got, this is where Ben Luria got, this is where, you know, uh, you know, one of the days on, on uh, Tish B'Av, one of the day, one of the curses that befell Israel, Tish B'Av, was the birthday of Sabati Tzvi, or Rabbi Ben Luria. Okay. His birthday is Tish B'Av, just in case you're wondering, right? So I would say, you know, I would say when, when you talk about Metatron, the guys that are spending their time talking about Metatron, you know, there's going to be a lot of stuff that's cast up that's imaginary. It's like, oh, well, this happened and that happened and the other thing happened. Well, the book of Enoch doesn't record that as happening. Where'd you get that idea? Oh, Rabbi Akiva and Rabbi Yokai. Yokai was the guy who said it's appropriate for a Levite priest to marry a three-year-old. And Rabbi Akiva was an Amalekite. Okay. So uh, why are we listening to Akiva and Yokai for any reason whatsoever at any time? There's no reason to be listening to them. And you know how Akiva died, right? The Romans skinned him alive and poured salt in the wounds. That's how he died. And Yokai fled and went and lived in the cave. And while he was in the cave, he comes up with the Talmudic idea that, gee, it's okay for a Levite to marry a three-year-old. So, you know, the answer is, is that uh, who is Metatron? It's a made-up name. It's a made-up name and a made-up idea. And, uh, you know, it's like the teaching that there's a 72-letter name of Yahweh. Well, in somebody's mind, there is. But scripture is very clear that the name of Yah is four letters, and sometimes two, and sometimes even one, just the Yod, right? But, you know, this business of 72 letters, you know, Let's get into a bunch of extrapolated nonsense and from which we can, you know, we can just start, you know, going down this tangent. We'll just start building, building, and building, and building until we've got some meaningless structure out here that's not even a home. It's not even a building. It's just a bunch of structure. Yeah. So don't, don't worry about it. If somebody is talking to you about Metatron, say, well, who's Mashiach? Right. Okay. Okay. All right. Thank you, Joni. Thank you. Blessings. Okay, guys. So we're going to wrap up our Shabbat for today. I want to thank you guys for being a part of this family. It's wonderful to meet you guys on Shabbat. And uh, thank you for contributing, all those of you who contributed. And those who are haven't contributed but want to, feel free, you know, not today, but next week. Don't be afraid to raise your hand. And we can talk and enjoy ourselves. Put a smile on your face this week because Yah is with us, right? We rejoice in his name and who he is. Okay. All right, brothers and sisters. So with that, I'm going to say Shabbat Shalom. Shabbat Shalom. Shabbat Shalom. Y'all have a blessed day. Shabbat Shalom. Shabbat Shalom. Thank you. Shabbat Shalom. Okay, Shabbat Shalom. See you later, guys. Shabbat Shalom. Okay, take care.